Before you fast forward, hear me out for a second. Did you know that if you were one of my awesome subscribers on either Patreon or Spotify, you could listen to the entire episode without all the pre-roll ads? That's right. Subscribers episodes start out right in with just the intro music. So go check that out if you're tired of hearing me read ads. The poll results from last week were pretty clear. Most of you do not believe in the feed the world myth. So head on over to Spotify and vote in this week's poll. All right, welcome to another episode of Ranching Reboot, your favorite regenerative ag podcast. In today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into some unconventional topics from lawn care to CBD and soap making. Our guest, Justin Harris, is redefining the boundaries of farming. We'll be discussing everything from the sustainability of industrial ag to the challenges faced by small farmers. So saddle up and let's hit the reboot button on our perspectives on farming and food systems. Today's episode is brought to you by Audubon Conservation Ranching and the Audubon Certified Bird-Friendly Seal, the new standard in connecting consumers to conservation. Once a ranch is certified as bird-friendly, a list that now includes yours truly, the Alexander Ranch, home of the Ranching Reboot podcast, beef and bison products can carry the Audubon Certified Bird-Friendly Seal, which lets consumers know their purchases originated on lands managed for biodiversity and birds. Why birds? Because birds like the lesser prairie chicken and quail that I focus on are arguably the best indicators that your regenerative ranching practices have taken flight and are helping the entire ecosystem. If you're interested in joining me and Autobahn in working at the intersection of land, food, and wildlife, learn more at autobahn.org backslash ranching. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hey Justin, how you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm awesome. It's good to be here with you. What's well, it's? I'm glad we finally made this work. And you know, I I got up about two hours ago and it's going through my morning. And about an hour ago, I started sniffling. My nose started running. Head started getting a little stuffy. And I'm like, oh no, no, oh, no. this isn't going to work. We're we're not rescheduling this one again. I do not have an episode for Monday, so we are powering through this one no matter what. Yeah, you need to quit getting the sniffles. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's just Kansas. It's it's just Kansas in a late spring, early summer. Yeah. I'll, no matter what, I'll have a couple of days in the summer and in the fall where I get a little bit done in the morning and then the allergies just set in and I can't do anything the rest of the day. The head just, just fills up with snot and Yeah. Well, I guess I'm lucky. I just I take my uh generic allergy pills every day and I just kind of soldier through it but because we're outside all the time there's no escaping it yeah yeah <laughs> no i mean there, there could be it depends on where the business goes but you know right for the last 20 years 25 years there's been no escaping it but, but who knows things might change yeah I've, i'm used to being outside in it a little bit and um you know if i've, if I've got to power through it and get work done you know we get it done but it's just not very pleasant i try to get done as quick as i can so <laughs> yep yep so you've been at it 25 years. What have you been doing for 25 years? Oh, well, I've been in the, started in the agronomy business, uh, 25 ish 
years ago, uh, just out of college. And then soon after that, um, started a lawn care business. I kind of had the desire. I, I wasn't really liking the, uh, the agronomy business as much as I thought I was going to, um, mostly because it just wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And, uh, so we started a lawn care business and thought, you know, Hey, we could take that, that knowledge base and, and, uh, that education and, and start a lawn care business. And, and my parents had always been, you know, the, I don't know, you, you just the, gotta have a nice lawn and, and free of weeds and bugs and all that. And, and I, you know, was kind of accustomed to that lifestyle and, and I liked my lawn and like to mow my little stripes in my lawns. And so we started a lawn care business, uh, you know, just like a fertilizing and pest management kind of a business. And, and it's been good for us, you know, it's allowed us to do, I mean, it's <clears throat> gotten so busy that we have no life, but, um, no free time. And, uh, we're trying to kind of get that back, but, but yeah, that's, so we have had the lawn care business for 22 years and uh, it's as old as my oldest son. And that's what keeps us busy and kind of pays for the party, uh, allows us to do the fun things that we do. Um, but, uh, but, but it's also kind of, yeah, the last couple of years have been with, cause that's not the reason that I'm on your podcast today is my, is the lawn care business. But the, so the last couple of years have been kind of an interesting life journey that uh, has taken us in directions that we never thought we would take, but, okay. but we have to kind of feather that throttle a little bit. You know, I, I can't quit my day job cold Turkey. Um, cause, cause you know, how are you going to pay the bills? Well, you're here because you're my friend, and I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> that's that's why you're here. Um, I was I was sitting here thinking about like some of the parallels between agronomy and and lawn care. And you said you're you know doing you know stuff like weed killer and fertilizer. Uh, can you talk maybe about some of the parallels between you know modern agronomy and quote crop science and and lawn care? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the plant physiology is the same. Um, when you're talking plants, you know, the weed taxonomy is mostly the same. You know, you, you deal with a few different weeds between lawn care than you do crop production. But, but you know, like I said, the, the modes of actions and the chemistries are, are all the same. Um, lawn care chemicals are just packaged in a different package with a different label and it's marked up an extra 125% than the ag chemical <laughs> active ingredient is how that works. And uh, so, you know, when I came out of the University of Nebraska uh, with a, you know, bachelor in agricultural sciences, and, you know, we learned a lot about the soil chemistry and, you know, how the, the soil bank is just like a checking account for chemicals and chemistry. And so I thought, you know, it's, it's the same thing. And, uh, and I, and I guess I kind of had more of a love after seeing the, the retail, uh, the retail, it, it, cause that's where I went, you know, I went straight into, you know, ag retail, quote unquote, un agronomy, you know, but what do you mean by, by retail? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> we were selling fertilizer, we were selling chemicals, we were selling uh, application services, we were selling seed. Um, it wasn't really, it wasn't, because I came into it in the, at the end of the 90s, and it really wasn't 
you know, like assisting in crop production. It wasn't the, you know, partners, you know, working on plans and, you know, helping these producers through the season with, you know, all of your university education. I mean, it was just, it was just sales and that's really all it was. And, and I, I never really was good at the sales part because I didn't really want to be a salesman. I wanted to be a helper, you know, I, I wanted to be there and be a helper, you know, like, you know, scout your fields, um, you know, help you with the new technologies and the new sciences and, you know, help you be profitable. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't really like that. You know, it was always, it just, it always kind of had the guise of you were there to help, but you were really just there to sell stuff, farm the farmers. And I didn't even know that phrase until I think listening to your podcast last year, I think somebody threw that out there <laughs> and maybe it was another one, but it had to have been yours. Uh, I don't know who else is. Sounds like that. something I might say. Yeah. Yeah. Or people on your pro on your podcast say anyway. And that's, you know, and <clears throat> I guess a lot of what's happened to us over the last few years has been a lot of reaffirmation of, uh, you know, maybe why, maybe why I didn't like that, uh, position and that, uh, that industry so much and, and why I wanted to go off on my own, you know, there for a while when I was kind of doing both, well, I was doing both for, you know, four years, three years, four years people were saying, you know, why don't you go off on your own and do this and, and your lawn care business? And I was terrified. I just thought, how in the world can I survive without, you know, health insurance and retirement and things like that? And, and I was terrified and I said, oh, I'm never going to do that. Well, by 2006, I was, you know, getting ready to turn 30. And I thought, man, you know, if you don't do it now, I, I don't want to, you know, wake up when I'm 50 and go, man, I wonder, wonder how my life would have been different if I would have tried to do stuff on my own, on my own terms, instead of, you know, just punching the time clock, so to speak. Okay. So, so, so that's why you got out of agronomy and went into lawn care. Yeah. So that's, so that's why. And, and, you know, we've gotten so busy that, you know, we almost can't even answer the phone anymore um, because there's only so many people you can help. And, and COVID really, uh, can we say that? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get a, you're going to get a blue. A I blue don't bar. care. <laughs> I don't even care anymore. So, or we could just call it the government, call, call it for what it really was. Government lockdowns. Um, Wuhan beer flu. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, gosh, we got so busy. We got so busy. There's, I just, you know, in, in 18, we built our new house or our, our, we live in a barn dominium outside of McCook and, uh, we built that in 2018 and that made us pretty busy because there were a lot of things on the house that, you know, like, like I'm going to the bank and saying like, you know, this is how much it's going to cost to build the house, you know, and this is my budget. This is my plan. Well, I knew it was going to cost more than that. And I knew I couldn't get the loan for it. So there was a lot of stuff that we were going to be doing outside the loan, paying for, you know, and landscape supplies, um, things like that. I hope your banker doesn't listen. <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt it. I highly doubt it. Um, but you know what? I make every payment and, uh, you know, and, and, and most of our stuff's paid for, but you know, we, we had to get busy for five years, the last five years, you know, to, to get everything, you know, I mean, we're still, there's still a few things on the house that aren't done. Um, but they're minor things at this point, but you know, we've got a, 
got a beautiful home and, and I love it. It's got a ginormous wraparound, uh, covered porch on three sides and, you know, a big outdoor grill Island. I can smoke meat and throw stuff on a black stone and grill all at the same time. I mean, I can do it all. I got three different grills built into the, the bar and use using my and because our lawn care business turned into a landscaping business at one point too so we started doing everything retaining walls patios fire pits outdoor lighting we, we do sprinklers uh, underground sprinklers and that's one thing i'm trying to kind of get out of for the most part it's just hard on the old knees and and uh and man it's it's weird but this is the first summer in I don't, 12 years i don't have any sprinkler systems sold right now like i don't have anything on the books my neighbor, uh, who's also in the same business, uh, he's been in the business, you know, almost well, probably 15 years longer than I've been in it. And he needed to borrow my machine the other day because his broke. And I said, yeah, you can use it. I, uh, I don't have any sprinklers to put in this summer. And I feel pretty dang good about it. I, I just, I feel like, yeah, you know, I mean, we're, we're still busy and uh, we're, we're making a bunch of plans that we're going to talk about here today, I, I, I think. And and uh, the sprinklers just get in the way of all that. And uh, so I kind of have my books cleared as far as that goes. And and so we're making some plans to do some really cool stuff later this summer. Would you rather be building decks and patios or working on the lawn? Oh, you know, I'd rather be sitting on my walker lawnmower with my earbuds in, listening to podcasts, mowing my lawn. I love mowing grass. And I've got a lot less grass than I used to. We used to have a little sod farm out front. It was about four acres of sod. And, <clears throat> you know, we've been going through this drought that that I think you might have mentioned a couple times on your podcast. There's been this little drought we've had. Yeah, I, I think I've said something about it. I don't, I don't think it's even affected anyone mentally, has it? Oh, no, it's, of course not. So we, we lost our sod so bad, you know, we're, we're, we've got a, we've got a pretty big well for a resident. It's about as big of, it's as big of a residential well as you can have. And we've got grazing paddocks for our animals. And we had the four acres of sod and we're trying to grow our own food. Um, That's been another part of our our journey the last few years. And we just didn't have enough water for the sod. So I was trying to, for the last, you know, for in, you know, last year, 2021 and 2022, you know, we were just trying to spread the water as thin as we could. The sod just fried. It was just so hot every day. The wind blew. It was like a blast furnace every day of the summer. It was miserable. And everybody around here, it's, it's different down in Kansas, but in Southwest Nebraska, everybody's just, just addicted to Kentucky bluegrass. They just can't see any other type of grass that would ever work in the world except Kentucky bluegrass. And it is, and that's another thing agronomically. Um, there are, <clears throat> there, there's, things are different. It, when I got into the business, it was so easy to keep Kentucky bluegrass green, nice green that the people, you know, how they want it. And, but when I, I mean, lived in Virginia, that's what I had in my lawn. Like, I mean, Kentucky 31, like that, that's, that's tall yard. I had a decent yeah. yard in Virginia, but when it rains like 60 to 80 inches a year, it's pretty easy to have a good looking yard. Well, that's what I tell people. I said, you know, I said, think about it. It's Kentucky bluegrass. It's native to Kentucky. They get like 70 inches of rain no, no, a year. No, no, no. I, it, it's it. You are you, you can't. Sure are you sure it's native to Kentucky? 
I thought so. I, I assume it. I mean, there's no way. It has to be. There's no way this stuff was growing in the Great Plains before we came out here and started settling and building, you know, post-World War II and started, you know, building the white picket fence lawns. There's no way that stuff could have survived out here. Not a chance. I think it's actually a European grass that was brought over. Well, that's probably it. That's I, probably it. I'm going to have to look yeah. that up. But I, th I think Kentucky bluegrass is actually a European grass that was brought over. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Because they, you know, they have to put some nice grass in front of their manor and, and their castle, right? <laughs> I'll go to look pretty. And, and hire, have a gardener to show everybody how wealthy and prestigious they are. And look at my lawn. There's no bees. <laughs> yeah, we want to plant pollinators. Like, we want a pollinator garden in our front. Oh, yeah. See, now I, I want <clears throat> all I want, you know, I, so I used to have this huge, you know, like four and a half acre bluegrass lawn out in front of the house on my 15 acre, you know, uh, property out here. And I used to love it. And then it just got to the point where it's like, you know, uh, the last couple of years, I'd rather just have the little circle that's in my circle drive and everything else just be native grasses, wildflowers, um, pollinators, things like that. You know, I mean, we just did a landscape job for a large financial institution that has offices all over the country. And, you know, what, what I thought was crazy. And one of the things that's just been kind of driving me nuts here lately is, you know, they, it's three acres, three acres of irrigated turf grass. And it was all sodded and a little bit of warm season, uh, non-irrigated in the back detention pond area. And I just, this, the, the city was raising a fuss about it when the plans came across their board and they're like, well, you're going to use too much water. Like you don't need that much lawn. They wanted it and they got it. And it's just, it's like, you know, <clears throat> it's a beautiful building. But I just think, you know, there's a, there's an outer yard and then there's the inner yard. And I mean, they could have had, they could have had a half acre or more just with the inner yard. And, and I think, you know, that building would look so much more beautiful if that outer yard wasn't, you know, highly manicured, highly irrigated, you know, cool season turf grass. If it was just native grasses with, with like some little blue stems and, and blue gramas and and uh you know all of our native grasses and had some wildflowers in it man that would be pretty it to me it it would look it would look like it was made for the prairie i mean you know the high plains but <clears throat> weeds are hard to control you know and in, in in you know establishing native turfs you know that that's obviously that's you know you're gonna have pig weeds out there and kosher and it's it's just mind-boggling, and I think that's another thing about the industrial agriculture that's gone wrong. And and I had a gal, my my parents' neighbor. In fact, she was uh, Dr. Patsy. She pioneered the heifer development industry uh, back in the what early nineties. Uh, right. She she came from Kansas, um, established a feed yard here south of McCook, and uh, yeah, she you know they developed heifers. Uh, all over the country and uh, she sold her business here a few years ago but she told me one time she was up in montana you know for meetings or something because she used to go all over the country still does i think go all over the country and and uh do talks and she said something about you know coming back you know driving through montana she you know all the road ditches are full of grass and wildflowers and she gets back home to southwest nebraska and it's like the seventh dimension of of weed choked hell you know and that's it it's like 
we so we were up in Wyoming last week for a little family getaway, first time in four years. And I, uh, hold up, hold up. So let let's. I want to go back to your road ditch observation. Yeah, a couple of my observations about road ditches. So I can travel on the highways all the way west to the Colorado state line here in Kansas, and I can look at the road ditches, and if I'm seeing things like Indian grass and big blue stem in the road ditches all the way to, you know, Colby and Elkhart and, and Syracuse, everything that's right all the way on the West end, please don't tell me you live in short grass prairie. The other, the other observation I kind of want to make about road ditches is, so I kind of live in ranch country and just a few miles North, it gets back up into square land, irrigated, mm-hmm. irrigated corn, corn, bean, cotton, uh, wheat, you know, pivots, whatever. So as I go north out of town, going through the pasture land, you know, the pastures, eh, maybe some not great managers, but the grass in the ditch, that's what I'm watching. Not watching Mm -hmm. on the sides of the fence, just watching what's in the ditch, the forage in the ditch. And as we go up through the pastures and some of the CRP ground, you know, you'll see healthy plant colonies, healthy plant composition represented in the ditch. You know, you'll see the big blues, the Indians, the little blues, you know, the gramas, the buffalo grass, you know, and some of the weeds. The weeds aren't quite as prevalent, you know, because the, when they mow it twice a year out to the fences, it kind of has a tendency to kill some of that stuff. But here's the point that I'm making. Then when you get up and you're not driving through the pasture land anymore and you get up to where you're driving against a farm field. Mm-hmm. So there's a field that's been that's kind of like a corn bean cotton oscillation rotation thing the ditches along there it's it's all really really poor low succession grass no mm-hmm. weeds the next mm-hmm. field is a wheat field there's i'd say there's maybe some like middle succession plants and then you get back to some pasture land and it's back to the taller grasses and i'm, I'm thinking of that because it's like edge effect right So as we're driving down these roads, we're looking at these ditches and you see a ditch that's just, you know, the, if the ditch is dead, how is that field healthy? I I guess is what is kind of what I'm looking at is the way I'm seeing it is when I'm seeing a dead ditch and, and really low succession plants in a ditch and there's a farm field right next to it. It's a pretty good clue to me that that guy is just, he pulls out the jugs of chemicals for everything. That makes sense. Well, yeah. And, you know, and it's, that's what I'm saying, like around here, I mean, you'll, you'll come across some road ditches and, you know, usually that's near pasture in Red Willow County, you know, here in Southwest Nebraska, it's mostly Canyon uh, land. Um, I mean, we've got definitely have farm ground in Red Willow County, but it not like they do uh, over in Chase County, uh, you know, Ch- Chase County's, you know, mostly, I mean, they've got pivots everywhere. Um, but yeah, you know, driving around the country, I mean, well, just last night we were, you know, just north of here across the canyon walking goats for with the kids for 4 H. And th- there's kosher and uh, ditch weed and, you know, common sunflower, ragweed, eyeball high already because we've had those drenching rains this, the last, over the last month. And, and there's, there's nothing in those road ditches but weeds nothing but weeds 
and it's getting to the point where it's almost dangerous coming around a corner, you know, because I mean, the county mows most of the road ditches, but not all of them. They mow the main ones outside of town, I think, and that's about it. But, you know, most most everywhere you go, it's just weeds in the road ditch, uh, grassy sandburrs, you know, a mile down from my house. It's nothing, but <clears throat> almost nothing but grassy sandburrs. And those are the worst. Those are the absolute worst. And how hard are those? How hard do they get rid of with a chemical? Like, it seems like the plants that we're getting left with now are just more and more resistant to chemicals. I'm, I'm finding that in the lawn care industry. Um, the, the grassy sandburrs are getting harder and harder to control all the time. They're getting worse. In 20 years, I've seen them just spread everywhere. And, of course, they spread easy because they stick to animals. They stick to your tires. They stick to the four-wheeler tires, mower tires, any tire they stick to. And... But they've gotten worse, you know, and we've been through three droughts, you know, we're just getting done with the third drought since I got out of college. And I don't really remember, I don't remember droughts before I was an adult, you know, or before I was in college. I don't remember droughts. I mean, that, that's a trick. It is a, tr it is a that's trick. A trick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's a you trick know? we play on ourselves because we grow up and we have this really narrow window and we exactly. think this is what the world is. Oh yeah, for sure. And and then it's like, well, I've had, you know, I've experienced all these droughts. Um, yeah, you've experienced three droughts since you got out of college 15 years ago, but that little lens you're looking at saying it wasn't like this when we grew up, it, it it's not that big of a viewport. At least yeah. that's my experience and that's what I've had to learn about myself. Oh yeah, that and that's and that's totally it. I mean, that's just like anybody saying, "Oh, this generation of kids they're they're not worth a crap you know it's like man everybody's been saying that since for the last 70 years everybody's everybody once you get into your 40s and 50s all kids are dumb they're all doing <laughs> stupid crap every and you think oh man the world is lost because of these dumb kids it's like your parents said that about you and your grandparents said that about your dad you know <laughs> he was a oh, dumb kids or you know they don't work in the salt mines anymore i mean the world going to heck you know these kids don't work in the coal mines when they're nine anymore what are we gonna do <laughs> yeah yeah i had to drive i had to drive to school both ways and a pickup of that air conditioning or power windows that's how rough i had it yeah yeah you know it's like so my parents you know they had to walk to school i had to drive to school without air conditioning and you know and like our kids you know if they had to go to school without their cell phone i mean it's all relative to the you know <laughs> i mean years it's gonna be i had to drive myself to school oh i had to yeah i had to touch the steering wheel <laughs> oh that's fun but no, it's just, I don't know, you know, that the road, you know, she made the comment about that road ditch and, and I, it still sticks with me today because, you know, we were in Wyoming last week and we rented a little house, little cabin, uh, like 15, it was little, it was like a tiny home for us. You know, we've got this big sprawled out barn dominium and then we're in this little tiny, you know, two bedroom with a loft, um, well, one bedroom and then the loft, but, uh, little little dorm fridge in the kitchen and half the kitchen is under the stairs to the loft it was pretty tiny but it was so beautiful i mean i i felt like i felt like only millionaires can afford the view that this thing had from the front porch it was i, I didn't mind. spend a lot of time looking at the inside pictures but i looked at the outside pictures i'm like man that's a spot that is i mean who i did i i just felt like 
for three days, I got to feel like one of those millionaires that, that gets to build a home up there in the, in the Tetons or outside Yellowstone, you know, but it, gosh, it was gorgeous. And, and it was just, you know, and I'm hiking around with the kids and it's just the thing that always strikes me about the mountains is, you know, you're, you're climbing those hills there and, and you're seeing all these little short little bunch grasses and these cute, these neat little wildflowers. And they're just growing in rocks in a tiny little bit of dirt and there's no weeds. And it's like, if I was home, there'd be grassy sandburrs in here. There'd be kochia that would be, you know, eyeballs high by now. It, it would be a weed choked corner of hell. And, and here's this, nobody's doing any chemical weed control up here there's no they're not flying on herbicides i mean how do they keep all the weeds out of the out of the, the there's just dirt and rocks right there and it's nothing but little bunch grasses because you know they don't get a lot of moisture up there i don't think and because we were in kind of that area you know we were we were still oh what 25 30 miles from from the east entrance of yellowstone so we were there where the trees are kind of just scrub trees you know it wasn't the we were still down low enough it was kind of the de the desertish kind of mountainous areas you know where you get just it's just sage and wildflowers and rocks and dirt but <clears throat> i it just it's just amazing that you know all these hundreds and thousands and millions of years the weeds haven't invaded those areas yet, but back home, you can't even kill the stuff with chemicals hardly anymore. It's, it's, it's weird. It's and, and you can, and, it's, and it goes back to the chemicals. It goes back to all the chemicals. I mean, we've made, we've turned this into, I mean, I'm sure when the, when the Pawnee Indians were, you know, running up and down the Republican here, I'm sure they weren't stepping on sandburrs and they, you know, kosher, they weren't chopping kosher down to feed their horses and, I mean, I'm sure stopped whenever they found a sandbar, they probably stopped and pulled it all out and burned it. So they <laughs> never have that problem again. I mean, that's, that's kind of the mindset that I think some of the tribes had is probably, yeah, this is bad. We're just not going to have this here anymore. And yeah. Or, or they were smart enough to go around places where, where it really grew a lot. So you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people that I've talked to on this podcast tell me the weeds are telling you something, mm -hmm. right? When there's weeds in the field, they're telling you something. And I, that's a, that's really a Macaulay Kincaid thing. So, you know, he'll go out and he'll sample weeds. Like he'll go sample the kosher. He'll go sample the pigweed and I'll send those samples into the lab to see, okay, what is this plant doing? Well, let, let's take pigweed for example. Now, when we have a year like we've had in the plains, everybody's got problems with weed pressure in their crop fields. Okay. Not whatever the pigweeds, right? So you go out there and you see these four five, six foot tall pigweeds growing out of three foot tall wheat. That's bad. Oh, we got to kill those. Well, that pigweed, that pigweed is like 25% crude protein when it's green. Mm -hmm. I mean, really good cow feed also known as palmer amaranth for those of you that you don't don't know a lot of latin out there um and it, there's several articles about like how to get cows to eat palmer amaranth and when i read that i'm like well, what's palmer amaranth so i looked that up real quick i'm like oh that's pigweed they eat that like why, why do you have to train cows to eat that like i in my experience i haven't had to train cows to eat that because they'll eat it mm -hmm. no problem 
they'll they'll go find it. They'll walk past. They'll go run past big blue stem grass that is growing in full leaf to go eat a pigweed. Yeah, and kosher. And, they yeah, love kosher. So, <clears throat> what, you ever, anybody that's ever pulled up a pigweed knows that it's got a really big taproot that likes to go really deep. Now, I don't see pigweeds in my pasture at all. Okay. I've got, there. there's two spots on my south end where a neighbor farms wheat on the other side of the fence. And he's really conventional. Okay. Like just in the last week, he's had the spray plane out twice to, to burn down all the broad leaves so he can cut his wheat. And we're, we're having a little issue with him. Um, now, not, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. He's okay. okay. Let, he's let, fly. He's flying on like a broadleaf herbicide or just flying on roundup to kill everything to burn. It, it's a broadleaf herbicide. Like oh, I talked to okay. the spray company yesterday. Yeah. Cause you're further South. I mean, your wheat's not ready to cut yet. I it's, not quite. It's getting there. Oh no! It's it's the third week of June. They should have been cutting already. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. They they should have. Oh, I guess it is. Yeah, wheat. boy, time's really getting away from me. It is almost the end of June. Geez. Yeah, they should have started cutting three or four weeks ago. Here, I mean, I remember times. So my birthday is the first of June, and for to not be cutting wheat on my birthday is is it's it's kind of a rare thing. Yeah. Um. So where was I going with that? Well, he's flying on. He's had the plane oh, out twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had the plane out twice, and you know, I I had the whole place put in the Audubon Conservation Ranching Program. Right? I can't say right. anything. Well, I didn't tell him. I didn't think about it. Oh. So, I've got between two hundred and five hundred yards of dead forbs and quote weeds out in the pasture, like. Some of the stuff cows won't eat. A lot of it is. Yeah. And I made the so the so the guy at the spraying company when I talked to him yesterday, Ariel, I mean, flies air tractors. He was just the office guy. He was pretty confrontational until I told him that I was in a program that was harder to get into than certified organic. And then he really started changing his tune like <laughs> real fast. Like he, he gave me his last name, told me his insurance company, told me his boss's name. I mean, he got pretty forthcoming with the information. So, I mean, look, and this is a situation like nobody's the bad guy here, right? My neighbor's no. the bad guy for farming next to me and for calling the sprayer. The pilot's not the bad guy for, for getting a little drift on me. The office guy's not a bad guy. Like, it, yeah. it really, it's on me because... I should have told the neighbor. I've been working on a letter. I was working on a letter yesterday afternoon, and I guess I'm going to send a letter to my neighbors, and um, I'm going to have to get in touch with this with the aerial application companies around. Let them know that leave a little more buffer strip and yeah, well, with the north wind. You know, you brought up a good point, and I think that's something that you know you we always have to talk about when we talk about these things. Is no one's the bad guy, and you know it. it like on social media right now, um, well, th this is the thing that <clears throat> this is the thing that drives me nuts is where where do you get the truth? Where do you get the right information? Because 
I don't have time to read books, so I listen to books like you, you know, and and uh, and I read I read listened to Wastelands uh, about the Smithfield lawsuits in in uh, North Carolina. Yes, and that was an absolute. I mean, that was that was an eye opening book because there are social media and there's one there's one gal in particular that's on social media and she's advocating for farms and farm life and and you know industries you know things like the, the agricultural industries and and I used to really follow her and and think that you know yeah you know go go girl you know do do your thing advocate for agriculture well then I I listened to wastelands and when you really start because I used to really follow politics and I still kind of do, but I used to, that used to consume all my, my daily, you know, my daily uptake of information was just listening to partisan politics. And all it did was drive me nuts because uh, the can, world, the world's coming to an end. You can't do that to yourself. So that's when I really got your life like that. You, you can't no, life no, like that. no. And so I gave that up cold Turkey and, and I started listening to podcasts and, you know, started, started in with Rogan and then yours was the second one. And we can circle back to that in a minute. There's, there's a good reason that I found your podcast. Um, name, name is Mike. And, uh, we'll get back to that guy. Yeah. So, so now when, when I see this person on social media, it, it has become all too clear that the types of tactics that the, that the industrial ag companies like Smithfield, the, the tactics that, because, because it's just like what you're talking about. Nobody's the bad guy here. You know, you're not a fruitcake because you're trying to do the Audubon Society certified, you know, pasture range. The, the guy that's trying to do organic is not a fruitcake. I, I used to think that they were fruitcakes because we get programmed by the industrial ag uh, industry. We get programmed that, that those people are fruitcakes. That that food is no safer than our conventional food, you know, and, and it's it's all a bunch of brainwashing. And when I read that book, I'm 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 just it's like it's just like the last 25 years of my my adult life and, and career is now all of these dots are being connected and I'm starting to see everything for what it really is. And it wouldn't have happened if it wouldn't wasn't for the government lockdowns and what we saw happen uh what happened to the food chain the food the supply system um you could you can see the the masks were pulled off of these ugly ugly corporations and and now when you see these people out there i can't help but look at her and and wonder how much how much money does she get from you know the Monsantos or the Bayers or the, you know, the Syngentas, the seed companies. I mean, I used to, I used to deal with all of them, you know, sell their products, but, but I just, it, and now I see she's, she's out there pining on social media to try to get on the Joe Rogan podcast because he needs to learn a thing or two about real farming. He's just very misinformed and you've listened to him. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a real big uh, uh, proponent of uh, regenerative agriculture and, and uh, he's had Joel Salatin on, and that's what I think is so cool. I I, I feel so uh, so prestigious, you know, to be on the same podcast that Joel Salatin was on because Joel Salatin was on Rogan. So I'm only like three degrees or two degrees from Rogan, three degrees, not very many degrees anyway. Um, I'm just but, happy that he returned my email. And, yeah, I'll do your show. 
And Will Harris too. I mean, that's, yeah. that's two to Will Harris and Joel Salatin. And, and it's funny. I, I talk about these people, you know, to producers around the area. Like, have you ever heard of Joel Salatin? I never heard of him. You ever heard of Will Harris? Why don't no, never heard of him. And, but, but nobody's the bad guy because, <clears throat> and this is what I see, you know, cause when I was in high school, I worked for a guy, you know, that had a, had a little hog operation. Uh, he raised bulls, cer- uh, certified Angus bulls, black Angus bulls. And, uh, I started working for him when I was probably 16 and worked for him for like three or four years while I had some other jobs. And, you know, my main job was just grinding feed and keeping the, uh, keeping the, the, keeping the feed flowing to the farrowing house and in the nursery, um, sort cattle, um, fix fence, build fence, clean the farrowing house, clean the nursery, uh, in between groups of sows coming in, you know, it was my job to pull up all the floor grates and clean out all the rotten feed and the manure and do rat killings, things like that in the nursery. Um, I mean, it was an exciting job. It was terrible. And I made four and a quarter an hour, you know, doing that kind of work. And, and if the uh, choice was shoveling out farrowing houses and hog houses for $5 an hour or being homeless and jobless, I think I'd learn how to live in a tent. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that bad. I mean, I smelled like hogs all the time and I lost my, there was like five years that I couldn't even eat ham or bacon. It just, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to think about the fact that you lost your appetite for bacon. Uh, Thankfully I got it back. Uh, It didn't take long, but I got my appetite for bacon back. But the funny thing was, was, you know, I always ate lunch out there uh, with them, you know, when we were working and all they ever had was ham. It's just ham sandwiches every day. Cause they, you know, they just send their hogs to the butcher and, and that's what they had sliced ham. And oh gosh, I got so sick of ham. I mean, I'm out there, you know, scooping out the farrowing house cause the tip tank never worked properly. And so it never flushed those gutters and I had to power wash it and scoop it out by hand. And, and, you know, but at the same time, so I was there when the hog, you know, I was there in 96 when the hog that's what i was doing uh when the hog industry went to crap i remember i remember taking the last load to town and uh you know i remember unloading them and and talking to rob you know and he's just like you know we're just we're losing money on every one of these we're losing money on and and now you know that stuff's sitting out there it's got weeds growing around it and i talked to him the other day and He said, you know, everything's still there. I mean, he could start up an operation because he was talking about that prop 13 or whatever it is out in California that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the specif- whatever that, oh, in California, they've got that new law that, uh, all, all the pork in Cal, no pork in California can come from a, a confinement operation. They have to have so many square feet, uh, to, to live, you know, and what, whatnot. There's a lot of stipulations and basically it put a lot of, uh, it's kind of put sending some ripples through the industry. And, and I was, I told Rob, I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd wait. I, I, I said, you know, you just got to go direct to consumer, you know, start raising hogs again. And then you just got to build up your, I mean, I'd, I'll buy hogs from you. I mean, I'm, I'm buying my pork locally, but I, you just have to find a customer base and nurture that customer base. And it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. There's a, there's a couple guys, one in particular here around Southwest Nebraska that, that, uh, He's a beef bootlegger, you know, old John. And uh, he doesn't. John O'Day? Yeah, John O'Day. Yeah, we buy beef from John. I buy beef from a couple guys around town. And and John's awesome. You know, he's delivering beef all over the country, clear up to Washington and Montana. He's got customers everywhere. But, you know, and um, 
he just he found a way you know i, I mean i i don't think he's you know gonna be driving a you know a, a bentley or or a cadillac with with horns on it anytime soon but but at least he's not getting screwed at the barn you know yeah that, that's the biggest thing is just finding another market rather than getting getting screwed yeah. at the barn and i think i think even a lot of conventional farmers are starting to see that like mm -hmm. you know they're getting they're getting farmed they're getting farmed by the bank they're getting farmed by the equipment dealer by the seed dealer by their agronomy oh, consultant by the absolutely uh, well you know maybe not the agronomy consultant let's not let's I, not I mean, throw that guy <laughs> i wasn't trying to throw you under the no bus. i know no no but but you know but nobody's the bad guy and and that's the thing it, it's there what i learned if there's anything that i learned from wastelands is that the the corporations that have consolidated this power and this <clears throat> this industry they will stop at nothing there's no stone that they will not overturn to polarize this industry and turn people against each other <clears throat> excuse me the uh in that in that deal the wastelands you know just in case no one's read or listened to the book the the Smithfield's, you know, contract hog operators were just pumping liquid manure into the air, and it was mostly in black neighborhoods. And uh, these people, their their land was worthless. People were sick. Uh, yeah, they that, had respiratory. Hold up for a second. Yeah, I didn't understand this in until I kind of went back and I, you know, spent some time in Arkansas a couple months ago, around uh, around where all the chicken houses are in Northwest Arkansas. Like if you go listen to Meat Racket, which is another book our friend Mike recommends, all that takes place around Northwest Arkansas, mm -hmm. and just in the proximity of of where these you know chicken houses are, and I'll be I'll be real, I've looked on Google Earth of where they're talking about North Carolina, okay, and it's kind of endemic of a bigger problem, okay. I can do what I want on my land, right? Mm -hmm. You can do what you want on your land, right? Yep. I, I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't affect you on your side of the fence, right? Right, right. Okay. Right. Well, when they build, you know, a 200-foot-long hog barn 50 feet away from the fence, yep. and somebody's living 100 feet on the other side of that fence, you can't tell me that that big barn isn't going to affect that person's quality of life. And, exactly. and and that's what they've done. I mean, they'll go in, they'll build, you know, six chicken houses and 500 feet away, you know, there's a neighborhood that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of a poor neighborhood. Well, why are they building them in poor neighborhoods? Well, duh, land's cheap. Yeah. That's why they build stuff there. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to go down to, you know, lower Manhattan in New York City and buy a couple blocks of real estate, burn it to the ground and make a chicken barn there. <laughs> never make the economics work. You'll never pay for the land cost. Nope. So no, <clears throat> but no, that's it. That, that's I mean, why, you, it, it's it, not, it's not, they're not putting them in like black communities or, you know, poor community or, or communities of any color. Like I'd like to make that point. It's not, they're not going to these places because people of color live there. They're going there because the land is cheap. And whether or not, well, and, yeah, and that's and that's and that's mostly true. And I think it was just it was just it. What is that? It's like it's 
correlation, not causation kind of right. a thing. I mean, it wasn't that they intentionally went. It was because it was poor. The land was cheap. And that's probably mostly the demographic of the area where this was occurring. It wasn't that they initially. Yeah, I, I don't want it to sound like that. But so it was a correlation, not a causation kind of a situation. But the fact is, is that they were they were doing that. You know, they they, they you know, like you said, they. These uh these hog operations with their kill pin would be out in the back corner of that property, which would be yards away from someone. That's where the dead pin is, not the kill. Yep. The dead pin is right there on the property line to a neighbor, and it was just it was horrifying. I mean, I you know, and I and I get like we live out in the country too. If somebody wanted to put a hog barn over here, they've got that right. But you know, so what what it boiled down to was, you know, here here all these people wanted some representation. They wanted the, the, the guys to stop pumping the manure and the big guns and aerosolizing it because they were sick. They couldn't even go outside. And long story short, you know, there's this big multi mega hundred million dollar lawsuits one after another. And so here comes all these, you know, farm advocacy groups coming out and say, you know, Oh, the big city lawyers are out here trying to shut these family farms down and blah, blah, blah. We'll come to find out. They're just they, they weren't farm advocacy groups. They weren't, you know, it, it, they would have names like Family Farmers for America or something. It was all fronted by Smithfield. It was all fronted and which were chi the Chinese to yeah. boot. It was all funded and started through Smithfield to go out and make it look like it was just big city lawyers. These people were working pro bono. It was not big city lawyers coming out trying to steal our land. And, and it, but what it showed me was that. These corporations, I don't think people realize how much power and money corporations like Smithfield and Tyson and, and JBS, I don't think people understand the, the depths and the, the seriousness of how entrenched in politics, state, county, and federal, and how much money and power they wield in Congress. So when we're out here fighting, like, like you know, the guy that's spraying, you know, there was, we've got some beekeepers here in Southwest Nebraska. And she was on Facebook a few weeks ago because they had a plane flying right next to the, and they're on bee watch. They've got the sites registered and, and, you know, and here they are. And it's like, you know, nobody's the bad guy because last year when I needed a, a cane bale for my little steers, we were bringing home. We got a couple of little miniature Hereford steers that we're feeding out. I needed a cane bale and I went and asked my brother-in-law if he had a cane bale and, and I felt bad because, you know, we're in this drought and, and I know he's, he's struggling, you know, everybody's struggling. And he said, yeah. He, and I'm like, it's not going to run you short. He's like, I'm going to run short, but I'm not going to run short one bale. I'm going to run short like 25, <laughs> 30, 50 bales, whatever. So one bale's not going to, overtip the apple cart it's the problem's bigger than one bale so i got a bale and and uh i'm like you know you, you're gonna plant enough feed you know this year and well you know we got to plant corn we got to plant pretty much you know you got to plant corn for the insurance check to make the land payment because there's no crop insurance for cane there's but no nobody, crop insurance but, but nobody's telling him how to farm no god no he's freedom to farm right yeah yeah i mean and, he, can, he can farm however he wants to Nobody's going to tell him how to farm. He can grow whatever he wants to, but he's got to grow corn to make, get it. That's, and so, so what, so that's what I've, you know, the last few years have, have opened my eyes. Things are not, things are, you know, things are not like they were in the eighties and nineties. Um, the guys 
like the guy that I used to work for, he's struggling. Everybody's struggling. Um, everybody's farming for an insurance check to make a land payment, to, to pay taxes. Nobody's farming, you, you know, and, and that's the struggle with, you know, so I've become a big advocate for, you know, natural soil health. Um, you know, I, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years, uh, just because out of my own, I, I'm a curious person and I like, I like all these things that, that interest me and new ways of thinking. And, and it's amazing how much we've learned about microbiology in the last 20 years. You know, when I was at UNL, everything we learned about soil was soil chemistry. That's it. Yeah. Uh, every, everything we learned about plant phys, you know, mostly what we learned about plant physiology was genetics and how we can alter genes and things like that. That was most of our plant physiology, but all we, all we learned about was, uh, chemical interactions and, and, uh, you know, nutrient uptake and th- we didn't, we never stopped and talked about soil my- microbiology ever at UNL. We never talked about soil fungi. All we talked about was bad fungus, you know, like these are the, these are the plant diseases that we have to use fungicides on, you know, fusariums and, you know, phytophthora root rot and things like that. We never talked. I didn't even know there was such a thing as beneficial fungi. Isn't that, is that not insane that, that I went through the agronomy program at UNL land grant university and never learned that there was such a thing as a beneficial fungi and, and symbiotic relationships with, with soil microbes in the soil. We never learned that. What if, these what if the fungicides that we've been using for the last i don't know 50 years what if the fungicides we've been using have been killing 99% of the beneficial fungi they are that's and the whole thing and that, shit like who, beet leaf who, rust who was your red a red young uh down there in Kansas he was on a couple months back uh well his last name's young <laughs> yeah young young yeah uh, uh, yeah ben, ben or something hey. bit jay jay yeah jay um that uh, you know he was talking about that he said there's a like a hierarchy to the fungi and he said the beneficial fungi are actually more powerful than the than the detrimental fungi and here we are you know it just it just goes back to farming the farmers i mean we've we've got all this technology and and I used to think, you know, and that's the thing is, is when I was in the university and got started in the business, I, I just always knew deep down that these companies, they weren't in it for the profit. They weren't in it for the power. They were in it to feed the world because we heard that all the time at UNL. <laughs> now it's a joke. It is, you know, you, all I do is I, I laugh at that. We throw so much food away in this country, actual food. It's ridiculous. And, and I started noticing this when I was still in the business. I I just, you know, when I was doing my agronomy thing, we were, you know, corn prices were low. We were doing, it was LDP world back then. And everybody was getting their LDP payments and corn was just worthless. And the ethanol industry was, was really starting to boom and they were passing bills to, you know, uh, to, to incentivize, you know, ethanol plants. Well, it was, we had to find all these ways to use up all this corn. And, and that's really, and, and see, and here we go again, you know, nobody's the bad guy. The, all the guys growing corn out here are not the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy. Uh, <clears throat> the guys working down at the co-op are not the bad guys. Everybody's out here trying to make a living. We're all trying to raise our families. We're all trying to save for retirement. We're all trying to pay these darn taxes. We're all 
trying to make a living and everybody no one is out here trying to do anything bad to other people but we're all stuck in this system that has been crafted around us by the corporations and i used to think that these these big companies you know the Syngenas and the monsanos and I used to think that, you know, well, they're just doing this because, you know, we have to feed the world. And these, you know, it's not why they're doing it. I mean, if we're not if the, feeding the world, we're, we're not feeding, feeding the world. Like it's the starving pygmies in New Guinea aren't eating number two yellow dent corn and white soybeans. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> they're no. not eating cotton. Okay. Like what we get off on cotton later. <laughs> well anybody, hopefully anybody that listens to this show knows i'm like 100 with you on this feed the world mentality crap like that, that that's the worst thing i i wish we could stop saying that let's stop well, trying to feed the world let's feed our families and feed our communities it's the, the feed the world feed the world i and i just thought of this and i might go back on it but feed the world is a slogan that was invented by the globalist corporatocracy in order to funnel money into their pockets oh absolutely that, like, that's man, that's all we yeah. of the food grown is wasted yep like and that's in north america 40 percent of the food we grow in america is wasted thrown yep. away ends up in landfills not used okay 40 percent. now there's another number it's about 85 percent 85% of the world's population is fed off subsistence agriculture. So, so is the American industrialized ag system feeding the world? Are we feeding that 15% that's not being fed by subsistence agriculture? We're not even feeding that 15%. No, like I, I think people need to understand exactly what those numbers mean. Cause you're right. 85% of the world's population is fed through, you know, not, necessarily hunting and gathering but but yeah these 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 people are just going out and growing food for their family for themselves that the eight, think about that out of almost nine billion people that's a lot of people and, and that is then american agriculture does not feed that many people that is crazy all i've all i can say is that what i what i come to find out is we it wasn't about feeding the world it was about feeding the pig and that is the corporate entities they, they are collectively the pig it's feed the pig because we're not feeding people um and and maybe we can you know talk about uh hemp how that you know and and, and i'm not really in the hemp business uh so much as we are doing the soap thing but uh but but it kind of ties into a lot of that um but but you know you've got the commodity system and it, every facet of of our production system is about farming the farmers and feeding the pigs, feeding the corporate entities that control the input streams. They control the commodity streams. They control the 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 quote unquote food processing because sixty five percent of what we eat in America is ultra processed ingredients, not real food. But corporate, gigantic corporate interests are in charge of every single facet of production. And, and who's made, where's the money going? It, it, 
are the guys in you know southwest nebraska i mean what how are the family farms and ranches doing out out here how are they doing in kansas i mean everybody's trying to go direct to consumer because the, these small farms are trying to go direct to consumer because it's the only way they can survive so because we see all the middlemen taking all the profit taking all and, the taking all the yeah. energy out of the system they're taking all the energy out of the system and and really what what really opened my eyes to it was listening to uh, mike calicrate and man did he hit the nail on the head he said these corporations they're mining operations they're mining operations and i've never heard anybody say that because when i think of a mining operation i think of like you're watching parker schnabel on gold rush you know that's a mining right. operation we're mining gold or or you know we're mining coal or something and and i never looked at it as a mining operation but there's a good everybody's well not everybody but a lot of people are aware of this now this has been getting a lot of news is that that saudi arabian farm down in arizona where they grow oh I, i've watched i've read multiple articles about it i've watched a, a news uh video there was a there's a video circulating about it some news uh, local news went out there and so the saudis own this farm because it's illegal to grow alfalfa in saudi arabia because they are short on water yeah it's illegal to grow alfalfa in it's Saudi illegal Arabia because it takes too much water because it takes like 50 acre inches to grow you know alfalfa whatever it takes an it, enormous amount of water so no, what okay, do they do pause. can you pause for a second yeah okay we're talking about irrigating quote acre inches okay if we're going to irrigate 50 acre inches of water is that equivalent to 50 inches of rain on that acre like it, that that's well it's we're, never we're yeah talking i mean about it, irrigating and we're saying i'm gonna go put on an inch and three quarters well i mean an, an inch of water is an inch of water and and every rain is different it's just like here in southwest nebraska they, a month I mean, ago we got we got half of our we got half of our annual rainfall in six hours three weeks three and a half weeks ago here in, in mccook it was insane you didn't get it the rivers and the ponds got <laughs> that's my point i mean yeah <laughs> i mean we've got it's we're not it's going to take us all summer to to get our property put back the way it should be it was terrible but at the same time it was it was a godsend because now <clears throat> everything's green but yeah every rain's different you could get an inch in six hours and you can get an inch in six minutes at, at least with the pivot irrigation you know you're you're not putting it on so fast that it's all running in the river but that's not the point the point is the that the saudi arabian company <clears throat> can come to the united states oh it gets really good and we won't even go into the details it's not like everybody else is getting this water i mean it's not like they just bought a farm and everybody down there is irrigating there is some really deep corruption in there they're 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 stealing water from the state of arizona they're using water so fast that neighboring wells have gone dry and they're looking down these test wells and they can see the water moving that th this farm is sucking up so much water Air and so what they're doing for anybody that doesn't know is they're growing this alfalfa putting it on a ship and sending it to saudi arabia to feed their dairy cows how is that not mining natural resources a foreign company is buying land in the united states of america mining our natural resources now if you go listen to peter zion's book the beginning of the world is just the end of the world is just the beginning yeah i, I always yep. screw that up you know <clears throat> one thing that that is an amazing about the united states of america is the fact that we're bordered by two 
the largest oceans on the planet. We've got friendly neighbors to the north and south for the most part. Um, we have natural resources that are unbelievable in this country. We really don't need other countries for anything. But yet here we are selling land to foreign companies, letting them come over here. Um, and it's not just this alfalfa farm. It's, and, and, uh, it's Smithfield. It's Smithfield. Chi the Chinese, are they own the hogs in this country. They're poisoning the the groundwater they're you know it everybody's everybody and what they're really doing in rural america like where we live and you live they're these big operations are just mining the resources and mostly what it is is water i i keep telling people water is going to be the the in 50 years water is going to be like the gold rush i mean whoever has water is going to be like you're going to be sitting on a gold mine i and, think and a we, lot sooner in the colorado river basin Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and that's the other scary thing is, is look at, okay, where do all your salad, get, like you've been to the local grocery store and you go in there and you get your salad blend. If you're not growing it yourself in the, in the, in season, where's my it all come comes, from? My salad comes from the yard, sir. Well, yeah, but in the winter time, it doesn't. <laughs> it comes from the grow tent. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, but I mean, if you go down to your local grocery store, like, like all the salad grains are all grown out in California. Well, you know, that whole Colorado river thing is, is a, a whole series of podcasts on its own. But the fact is, you know, they, they divvied up the river and we stole most of the water from Mexico that, you know, where it flowed into Mexico, they don't even get any water. Now we just took it from them, but they divide the Colorado river up to service, you know, 10 million people that were living in the desert Southwest in California. Well, fast forward to today. Now there's 40, 50 million people that that river is serving, but not only that, that like that central valley out in california they're growing like what 80 90 percent of the all of the united states is pr fresh produce but they've got to pump water over two mountain ranges <laughs> to do it yeah and and if they run out of water we're where in the heck are the rest of us going to get our food i mean the, the, it's not just that they've had the population growth the population growth has been across the whole country well, not in rural America, that has actually declined in the last 50 years, but, but in the urban areas <clears throat> all across America, our population has, has exploded in the last 70 years. And so that river, not only is it, you know, water and golf courses and fill in swimming pools, you know, and then a little bit of it's used for all that produce that's grown in, in Central Valley, but all that produce gets shipped out all over the country. It's just, it's just... It's mind-boggling. Yeah, we pump the water over two mountain ranges out into a desert. We grow food in a desert, and then we put it on reefer trucks, and then belch, you know, guzzle diesel and and for the, not only the truck but the reefer unit, and ship that produce all over the country to places where there's plenty of water. Beautiful shiny red <laughs> tomato, perfect baseball size, no blemishes, yeah. nothing. It just tastes like water. Yeah, yeah, it, it's. It's crazy. It's crazy. Back to your comment about um, the Saudi Arabian Arizona alfalfa farms. So they're getting water from a river that's over allocated for basically free. Mm -hmm. They're pumping groundwater without restriction. Oh, and you know, they're, they're, they are a mining company. Okay. They're mining our water. They're mining our soil nutrients. Yep. They're mining federal subsidy dollars to do that with. Okay. Yep. 
you can't tell me that that farm is not getting some sort of USDA federal subsidy dollars, either to help them build wells or to help them irrigate or, or whatever. And they're they're growing one of the most thirsty forage crops in a desert to ship the food halfway around the world to feed cows, and we're paying for it. Mm-hmm. The American taxpayer is paying for it. Like, yeah. is that is this what feeding the world means to you? Like, we get to feed some cows in Saudi Arabia. That's exactly what it it's, means. It's great. <laughs> it's great that their people are learning to enjoy dairy products. That's awesome. I'm all for more people drinking milk. But growing alfalfa in Arizona and shipping it to Saudi Arabia to feed cows makes zero sense in any in any sort of world where books are balanced it's mind-boggling to me that growing up in nebraska living here we've been restricted you know for the we're in the middle republican nrd natural resource district uh like the wine glass ranch where uh he's from they they're the upper republican he was on your show a couple weeks ago uh logan Logan from no yeah they've been gosh they've been restricted. working cows too <laughs> they've been restricted up there for i think 30 plus years um pumping pumping water in around 2000 when we were dealing with uh, the drought three droughts ago uh the middle republican uh they decided to put a moratorium in no new irrigation wells um gonna slap some restrictions on you know uh annual pumping restrictions and, and they've got these windows you know like three-year windows and Everybody's put, you know, they had to put uh, meters, flow meters on all their wells, uh, irrigation wells, anything over under 50 gallon a minute would be considered residential and is, is non uh, regulated. Um, so we've had those things in place. And I just, you know, the first time I come across that article, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, you're in a desert and you've got an aquifer and you're not regulating the water. What in the hell is wrong with these people? I, they, I, I just, I can't believe that, that, I mean, and yeah, okay, we live in a free country, you know, you're free to do whatever you want. Well, we're really not. I mean, you got to buy a fishing license, you know, you got to pay to get into the national parks, you got to pay to get in your state park. I mean, and like you said, yeah, I can do whatever I want on my property. Well, to a certain extent, I mean, I, I can't go build a big pond and then pump water out of the ground into it. Cause then, you know, WOTUS, you know, the federal officials are going to come beating on your door that, you know, you've created a unofficial pond or something i mean i mean you can do whatever you want with your own land to a certain extent which is on a larger scale is something else you know that that i was wanting to touch on the to talk about you know when it comes to well just like raising cattle and 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 what's going on in brazil you know let's talk about what's going on in brazil and the rainforest and you know palm oil production and and beef cattle ranches things like that i mean you know, you hear Throw a lot renewable of renewable fuel standard in there too, because that's that's the <laughs> rainforest destruction. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, like I sit here and I go, okay, you know, I don't think we should be bulldozing the rainforest to grow palm. I don't think we should be bulldozing the rainforest to you know raise cattle. I think the rainforest should probably stay there. But then it's like, well, who are we to tell you know the Brazilians what they can do with our land? I mean, look what we do with our land. I mean. Yeah, we've got restrictions. I mean, we don't let, or do we? I mean, I, you know, you sit here and you go, you know, just 
watch any documentary about what's going on in South America and you're going to see, or Africa, and you're going to see that these Chinese mining companies are coming into these, you know, mostly third world areas and they're, you know, stealing, mining the natural resources and they're bulldozing rainforests. And I mean, we really don't have that going on in our country or do we? Uh, no, well, we maybe do. it's just maybe it's just more sophisticated in our country, like Smithfield family sells family. Yeah, I mean, so so we don't have the illegal Chinese miners out here on the in the high plains bulldozing, you know, grass pastures to to put in hog confinements illegally, but they're just they're still doing it. They're just or the Saudis. They're they're not out here bulldozing the desert so that they can raise illegal alfalfa crops, or are they? They're they're just doing it in a sufficient. They're doing it. They're they're going in and they're greasing the wheels of the local politicians and the local regulatory agencies and the and the the alphabet agencies of the government. And they're they're using all they're using that money. They got money. So in the United States, I think they're still doing the, the same thing they're doing in Africa and South America. They're just doing it on. They're doing it in a white collar way. They're doing it with with you know they're in politics. They're 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 using money. They're not just showing up in some unindustrialized country with bulldozers and, and just, you know, laying a new patch that that's what they're doing in South America. But yeah, it's, it's a crazy frustrating world that we're living in. The, the mining that's going on just, I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know, that, for as much as we could talk about it all day. I mean, we could bring up, keep bringing up examples after example. And I'll, I'll circle back around to, to something I've said probably a dozen times. You can, you can play that game and be on that treadmill, or you can decide that it's time to play a different game and do something else and get off the treadmill and make a decision that you're going to start trying to feed your, feed your family Feed your community and take care of your community and not be farmed and mined by, you know, a multinational conglomerate company like yep. John Deere, like Sygenta, like Monsanto, like Smithfield. I mean, they exist in every corner of our world now, and we've got to watch out for them. I mean, Walmart is no different. Family Dollar, Dollar General. At, and as much as I hate to say it, Tractor Supply, Orchlands, Baumgars, like they're just trying to get your money, guys. Like, yeah, you know. And okay, maybe Tractor Supply and Orchlands, they're you know they're not you know some evil big giant corporate conglomerate that's trying. Well, no, no, no. Down. They're it's people trying to make a living. You know, I mean, they're not bad guys. Every every one of those money. every one of those chains, I'm pretty sure. Like you take Baumgars or Tractor Supply or Orchlands, every one of those chains started out, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago as some guy in Springfield, Missouri or something started a hardware store that they sold feed and garden supplies and fencing and tools and nuts and bolts and stuff like that. And then then they added another store and then they added another store. And you know, yeah, they're corporate now, but but they're not like Smithfield or, or, you know, the Saudi, I mean, they're not out here mining our natural resources and, and sucking all the life out of our, our small, slowly dying rural communities, you know, um, some, sometimes those things get started and, and it's kind of hard to stop them. I mean, 
you know, I pulled, I'm pulling myself out of the sod business, but that's not some groundbreaking earth shattering movement that I'm making. Um, but I just decided that, you know, it's stupid to put all this waste, all this water on this, you know, purely aesthetic, you know, just money pit, you know, I mean, people spend so much money on, on this grass and so many inputs and we put so much fertilizer and chemicals on this stuff. And, you know, what really got me the last couple of years was this drought. It was, it was government lockdowns, the realization of what's really going on with, with corporate America and coupled with the drought. And I just really saw how much people were struggling and I really lost my appetite for the lawn care business because guys are out here selling cows. They're selling genetics that it has taken two and three generations to develop because there's no grass and there's no government bailout or subsidy for guys that are struggling to feed cows, uh, selling herds, feedlot operators, small feeders that are going out of business. And, and, then you you know you get these phone calls and and nobody's a bad guy here. I'm not trying to pile on anybody, but it's just it took a mental toll on me to have to field phone calls all day about you know I've got this little dry spot in my yard or oh there's a little patch in the corner that's kind of brown and I think we need to reseed it and pour a bunch more fertilizer on and pour more water on and and oh geez it's just so terrible and and I'm just like man where's where every perspective. Where's everybody's priorities about what's, I mean, my God, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run out of our capacity to feed ourselves in, in two generations. If we don't start paying attention to what we're doing to our waterways, our water, our freshwater supplies, our soil, and what we're putting in our faces, all this other stuff is just so arbitrary and meaningless. And I just, I've really lost my love for it. Um, and, and I think my passion became, you know, trying to do things different. Um, of course, then, you know, we were just so haphazardly fell into the soap business and, and hit business. I mean, the last five years has just been like, I can't even keep up with all, I can't keep up with all my new ideas and, and how things just the amount of information and knowledge that I've been absorbing about how, what's really going on and, and how we need to change things. I mean, I was just strolling along life's path, you know, before 2020, I was just strolling along life's path, you know, just doing the, trying to follow that American dream and paying taxes and paying bank interest and going into debt, trying to run a business and just thinking that it was all going to work out someday. And then, and then it just, everything changed and then so, we just so the lockdown hit yeah I watched fight club about 300 too many times <laughs> yeah yeah and uh it, it was so it was weird it was so so we uh we took this little family vacation um to uh black hills in 2018 when things were still normal, when the world was still right. And, oh, uh, 2019 was a great year. It was the no, last year not, we all had. I know last year. Yeah. 19 was the last normal year of my life. So in 18, we, you know, bought a, we're up there. It's one of these tourist stores and I bought a couple bars of natural soap. Cause I was just kind of killing time and, and, uh, it smelled good. And, and we had the family of six plus a, plus the oldest, uh, girlfriend with us. And so there were seven of us in the expedition and, 
grab a couple of bars of soap to make the car smell good. And, and, uh, and I'm not one to throw stuff away because I thought it was kind of, you know, kind of, I don't know, I'm not say feminine, but not very masculine to, uh, to have natural soap. Um, but it was like, it, it, it had Irish spring. <laughs> so, so I bought these bars, you know, I got them home and I, I used them because, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not one to throw stuff away and I paid, paid good hard earned money for it. And, and man, I, I was like, holy cow, this natural soap is really, really nice. Well, at the same time in 2018, we've got a new farm bill. Uh, every five years, we've got a new farm bill. And in the farm bill, and I listen to AgriTalk every day, you know, and, and uh, I listen to Chuck Grassley talk and Chip Flory. And, and I used to be a big fan of listening to AgriTalk and, and uh, seeing what's going on in the markets and what's going on in the world. And, and you know, everybody's talking about, you know, how much, how much hemp we import from other countries. It's like a $10 billion a year trade deficit in the United States. And the farm bill was going to allow hemp production. And, and at the same time, I had this ankle injury uh, in a fit of rage on a spray can in my shop driveway one day and I really screwed up my ankle and uh and so I started hearing about this CBD stuff you know um from hemp and and I thought well maybe this you know so I started by it was 2018 and it was legal now and I was buying this stuff online and really seemed to help with my ankle you know kind of reduce inflammation and things like that and basically just went away I never went to the doctor never did PT or anything like that never course you know that was back in the day when you know the wife and i were popping a leave and ibuprofen and stuff like that every day she's you know got a headache every day and so we started using cbd and and all of a sudden nobody's got nobody's having daily headaches and you know a lot of your little inflammatory aches and pains have gone away and so the 18 farm bill comes out and and we're at the uh mccook farm and ranch expo uh put on by my uh our friends the dales uh they do the one down in Kansas, they do one in tech down in Wichita Falls, Texas. And, and so we were, we were at their show again as our lawn care landscaping business. And we met these guys down the row from us from Colorado. Um, cause he, he was, ter Darren was trying to promote the hemp industry. And so the, the 2018 or the 2019, this was in 19 now, uh, McCook farm and ranch expo. Uh, it was the farm ranch and hemp expo. And Darren was really trying to get hemp producers here. So we, he had some farms and an equipment dealer. Uh, he had some CBD guys, you know, uh, have booths here. And I talked to all of them and, and really got interested in the business. And I thought, man, that's, that's something I can do out there at my little property. You know, we can, we can have a little, uh, little hemp grow, grow CBD. And, and, uh, and I thought, oh, it would be a really cool opportunity to become vertically integrated. And well, well, first we kind of thought, you know, we could just grow hemp for, you know, and then, you know, sell it to one of these hemp processors, these CBD extractors out in Colorado. Well, 2020 rolls around and this is before, um, see in, in 19, Nebraska had an, uh, experimental program. They only took 11, uh, growers and it was supposedly random draw. And so it was kind of an experimental year. So they rolled out their, their official program in 2020. And I wanted to be part of that program. So, I mean, I'm sitting at my computer desk that morning that the, the Department of Ag opened up the website and, and, uh, and I, I, you know, filled out my application, sent off for my background check at the FBI and, and did all that stuff. I, you know, mailed off my check to get a license. But before I did that, I was also doing a lot of uh, reconnaissance on, on the hemp industry. Well, see what happened in 19 from 19 from 2018 to 2020, 
a lot of other states were ahead of Nebraska in the hemp program. And uh, there was a lot of CBD hemp being grown. Um, a lot of CBD hemp. And it looked like it was going to be a really good moneymaker. Like, like you could have a tiny little grow and you could make a little money. And we were kind of thinking, oh, you know, this would fund maybe some new equipment out here and, you know, maybe pay some debt down. And, you know, I mean, we weren't thinking about taking, you know, tropical vacations and going to Hawaii or buying a, buying a house up in Cody, Wyoming to spend the summer. I mean, we were, we were just like, we could pay some debt. And you also did like five pivots worth of crap either. Yeah. It was going to be a tiny little grow. And, and at that time you could do, you know, I mean, you could have conceivably done stuff like that with even a small grow, like a one acre grow. Well, by that winter, um, the farm show was in November. And by that winter, things were really going south in the hemp industry. The, the price of CBD was crashing because you had all these other states that were just because everybody thought, well, you know, if you could make a living off of one acre of CBD hemp, well, what could I do with five pivots? <laughs> and so every so all these farmers across America started growing like five pivots of, of CBD hemp because, well, you, you know, you get bigger, get out. Get bigger, go home. Get bigger, get out. Same thing, you know. And so the price just the the bottom fell out of the market. It just completely fell out. So so there I am, and on February second, twenty twenty, thinking, ah, I don't even know. I'm worried that if I spend six hundred and fifty dollars on the license and grow this crop, I'm not even going to be able to like drop it on somebody's truck dock in in Colorado that they won't call the sheriff on me. I mean, that's what I was worried about as far as what this crop would be worth. But I know, I knew that the finished product was, was, was had value. I knew it was therapeutic and I knew it would help people like it helped us. And so I thought, screw it. We're going to do it anyway. <clears throat> and we're just going to become vertically integrated. We're going to grow it. We're going to extract it ourselves. And then we're going to come out with our own product line and we're going to bottle it and turn it into gummies and, and have our own products, you know, and, and uh, just kind of like the direct kind of like, you know, everybody that's growing home raised beef and selling it directly to cut. They're not, you know, I didn't want to be part of the, that was, so that was my first experience with not wanting to be part of the commodity because I saw what happened with the commodity. Just, it just fell to pieces. Was it, was it primarily a processing bottleneck? Um, well, it wasn't a bottleneck. There, there wasn't a bottleneck. It was just that, it was just that in within two years of the eight, 2018 farm bill, you went from growing CBD hemp and driving Bentleys to begging people online to buy your, your, your flour, your biomass. In two years, guys went from buying Bentleys to auctioning it off to anybody that would buy it online. They, they couldn't find, because the problem was in 2019, uh, there was an article published in, gosh, I can't remember what magazine or news art, newspaper, that in the United States to, to supply retail demand for CBD products, we needed to grow approximately 30,000 acres of CBD hemp. And in 2019, the United States had 120,000 acres of CBD hemp. Sounds like at, American farmers. It sounds like American farmers at work. They're trying to feed the world and we're trying to provide therapy for the world. And we provided way too much therapy and therapy, therapeutic plants. Well, so we did that. And that's what, how we started our. It, so at the same time, this is what's crazy. At the same time, um, I, I had become like obsessed with soap <laughs> the, the winter of the winter of 19 into 20 2020 i had become obsessed with natural soap and and i thought you know what it'd be cool 
it would be cool if we made soap with hemp seed oil. Okay, so so <clears throat> so everybody knows because I don't. You've never had anybody on your podcast talk about hemp before. No. Um, no yeah. So I'm privileged to do that. So what what always trips people up is there's there's lots of different products that you can make from hemp, industrial hemp, and marijuana is a very close. Marijuana and, and industrial hemp are the same plant. They, they are both cannabis sativa. The only difference is, is the breeding. You know, marijuana has been bred to have very high levels of THC, whereas that gets you. That's the stuff that makes it fun to smoke it. That's the stuff that is fun. It's it's a it's fun. Um, don't ask how I know. It it helps you sleep. Research, right? Research. It helps you sleep. And, uh, <laughs> and then industrial hemp is bred more for CBD, which is uh, cannabidiol versus tetrahydrocannabidiol. They're very similar model. CBD molecule is very similar to a THC molecule. And then there's a hundred plus other cannabinoid molecules. This plant produces so much cool stuff. It's not even funny. So for a period, so at the same time, I'm just diving into research. Like, I want to know why, why is CBD therapeutic? You know, like what, what is it? You're like, what, what's going on here? Like, how does this work in the body? Um, what, what's the chemistry, the body chemistry? Um, what, and why is the government regulate? Why is the government so scared of this stuff? Why, you know, so this, that was kind of my first, like, what's going on in the world? Why? You know, it's a free country, right? Like, why can't I grow a plant that is therapeutic? Why can't I grow a plant that can help with anxiety, with stress, with sleep, with uh, inflammatory uh, soreness issues? You know, wh why can't why can't you do that? Well, at the same time, I'm I've got this soap hobby addiction going on, and I thought, you know, this is cool for agriculture. This new hemp industry, it's going to change the world. I mean, the guys are going to have a new rotation. They're going to have a new value added. Uh, stream for their their crops you know we're going to make biodegradable plastic we're going to make fuel we're going to make shirts and t-shirts and shoes and you know i mean hemp is going to change the world and uh and i thought it would be really cool if we made a soap and the soap was going to be it's going to have hemp seed oil in it because hemp seed oil is so very nutritious for your skin it's got healthy fats and gamma linoleic oils and, and antioxidants and fatty acids. And it's really good for your skin. It moisturizes without clogging pores. It's a top-notch oil. And, and it's not a seed oil, Brian, that the hemp Wait, seeds it, it, are technically nuts. Okay. So that's another little fun thing. So, cause I'm, I'm, I'm against the seed oils too. Uh, there's just way too many seed oils in our diets. I, you can't, we don't, you can't go anywhere without consuming sugar and seed oils it has taken over everything and it's part of what's destroying our health as a country but hemp seed oil is not a seed oil the hemp seed is actually a little nut inside of a shell and that's why they're so dang healthy it, so you're actually when you're when you're consuming hemp seeds you're actually consuming a nut i okay i like, like almonds, you know, like almonds and mac, I, you know, all it. those healthy nuts, all those okay. healthy nuts. I'm glad you said almonds. Oh, yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Let's not go <laughs> on that rabbit hole of almond production because well, that's another that's another detrimental thing. And I get it. I Yeah. I don't. No, I, don't, I was, was going to talk about if we oil. have time. Yeah. If we have time, we can go down. Oil because like we had to breed almonds 
or maybe it wasn't almonds. Maybe it's another, maybe it's another kind of nut, but we had to breed them to where they weren't toxic to us. Mm -hmm. And so the reason like seed oils, like not all oils created equally. I mean, there's seed oils that aren't processed that don't need to be that don't need to be processed like hemp seed oil chemically extracted you is right yeah chemically extracted but then when we look at like uh you know not going to talk about soybean oil but like uh rape like canola canola yeah that's a good one no you don't mean good healthy wise that's a good one to talk about (laughs) i mean everybody's like oh yeah canola The, the first thing you hear or the first thing you think when you hear somebody say canola oil is heart healthy, uh-huh. right? Because because that's what we were all brainwashed in the late nineties and two thousands. Like vegetable oil is going to be healthier. Everybody use canola oil because it's going to be healthy. Well, after they extract it, like there's two or three processes that that oil has to go through to be deodorized and detoxified mm-hmm. and purified, so we can eat it. Mm-hmm. You know olive oil okay they take the olive pits and they go put them in a press and they smash them and now you have oil it doesn't need to go get the toxins removed from it so you can eat it it doesn't need to go undergo some high temperature process to change the molecular structure of the oil so it won't kill you Mm -hmm. okay so there's oils that are fine it's not now, this is another book, and I can't remember what it what it was. Maybe it'll come to me. Um, it's not what's it's not what's in the food. It's it's what's been done to the food, and it's right. what's been done to the ingredients. Right. So I, I I think I think that's kind of worth saying. Well, yeah, and it is, and you're right. I mean, and that's kind of the same thing. Is it you know, it's not just what you're eating, but it's what your food ate, also. You know, and some of that, like uh, Fred Provenza talked a lot about that in his book, which I also listened to, which was really good, uh, Nourishment. And uh, yeah, you know, because a lot of these things seem healthy on on paper, but a lot of it is the the molecular rearrangement and the processing and the chemical extraction. A lot of that stuff is chemically extracted. So back to hemp seed oil, it's not, you know, it, it's basically like an olive oil. They're just, you know, you go out there and you're, you're uh, seeded because uh, there's, there's two different types of industrial hemp. You know, there's, there's hemp for CBD and that's what I was wanting to talk, talk about, you know, so there's CBD oil and then there's hemp seed oil. So we've got two different kind of types of uh, of uh, industrial hemp. You know, you'll you'll have a, a crop that is seeded because in, in hemp we have the, hemp is not a uh, self pollinated crop like corn and soybeans. You have male plants and you have female plants. The male plants produce pollen. The female plants produce flower. When that pollen pollinates the flower, you get seeds, and that's all your ditch weed is basically males and females out there. And then later in the summer and the early fall, when you see those plants that have those huge big clumps on them, that, the males are, are like yellowish lime green, kind of sickly looking. And they don't, you know, those are the males. And then the females usually have those really nice dark green flowers. And then by late summer, early fall, they've got huge clumps of seeds on them. Well, that, so that's where you would get your hemp seed oil. Now, when that, so what we were growing was females. That's, so that's where you get CBD oil. CBD 
cannabinoids come from the female flower parts, it, basically the trichomes. The trichomes are these little hair-like structures that are that are on the sugar leaf, uh, which is the leaf that's around the flower. All the flower parts have these little trichomes, and they're just resinous, sticky little hair-like glands with a little ball, little glob on the end of it. And really what that is, is it's a, it's a self-defense mechanism that the plant produces. So that's why that's why hemp smells. The female plants smell skunky. Uh, that's a lot of the terpenes. Well, it is the terpenes. Uh, the terpenes and the flavonoids uh, put off these odors that deter, you know, wildlife from eating them. Um, the re the resin, it, it's a, it's almost like an insect repellent too. Um, now there are insects that can that can chomp on your your hemp plants, but for the most part, they don't have a lot of uh, plant pests because they've got those self defense mechanisms. But but the cool thing about those trichomes is those trichomes are just loaded with beneficial cannabinoids, plant terpenes, phytocompounds, basically. So, you know, like Fred talks a lot about phytocompounds. Um, and this is what got me going down that path is learning about the hemp plant, learning about all these different cannabinoids and how they interact in our body. I got kind of fascinated with like the phytocompounds. Well, then we, you know, we, we run into the COVID buzzsaw. Um, and then, you know, we find out that most people probably wouldn't even have gotten sick had they been healthier, had vitamin D. Um, my gosh, there's so much information we have to condense into this. But, <clears throat> you know, I start looking, you know, I start learning about phytocompounds and, and it's like, man, you know, and, I, and I'm listening to Joel Salatin and Dr. Cena McCullough's podcast, and, and they're talking about phytocompounds and how what you eat is important or, or what your food ate is also important. And then you start listening to like Fred Provenza's, uh, like the goats that are eating the wood, the wood rat, the, the wood rat houses, because there's some nutrient in there. And, and it's like, wow, you know, there's, there's more to your diet than carbs, proteins, and, and fats. Okay. Cause, cause that's like our food pyramid was like, well, you have to have so many servings of protein and you have to have, well, what about all these phyto compounds? What, what about my immune system? What about feeding my microbiome in my gut? And so the, the hemp world was really fascinating because we really have a plant that has all these interesting these interesting phyto compounds that are not found in other plants or animals. Um, and what's interesting is the reason that CBD became such a popular product is because um, in the 80s and 90s, when our federal government was doing uh, cannabis research, our federal government spent hundreds of millions of dollars in the 80s and 90s doing cannabis research because they were trying to prove that cannabis would cause cognitive decline and brain damage. And so they had all these paid researchers doing all this research. And what they found out was that not only did they find out that Cannabis use does not cause cognitive decline and brain damage, but they discovered the endocannabinoid system within our own bodies. And animals, mammals have, you know, all mammals have an endocannabinoid system. Uh, and it's interesting how this, this, endocannabin, uh, the, this endocannabinoid system in our body is, it, it's all connected to our, our, our inflammatory response. It's connected to our immune response. It's connected to our nervous system our body produces endocannabinoids and, uh, and it's, and I think it's just like, like hormones, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's on a spectrum, you know, it depends on your genetics, your environment, your diet, your, your exercise, whatever, what you do with your life. 
and, and the reason that a lot of people would have a, a good response to cannabinoids is because they're probably not producing enough due to genetics, environment, diet, exercise, things like that. And so, you know, some people would have a really big response like, like, oh my gosh, I sleep so much better. And, you know, a lot of my old aches and pains are gone. And, and, uh, you know, my mother-in-law is, was one of them. She, we built her, a, a, her own suite in our barn dominium when my father-in-law passed away a few years back. Um, and she moved down here with us and she's got arthritis and she's on all the typical arthritis medicines, but she still couldn't use our flipper door hand. Well, she could, but it hurt her wrist really bad using our flipper door handles in the, throughout the house and opening a bottle of water was a task, you know? And so we got her on, you know, CBD oil and uh, some of the topicals that we make. Uh, and, and most of that is gone. And, and she was, you know, her doctor was, you know, Oh, go try this. It's over the counter at the pharmacy and it didn't work. And all this stuff didn't work. Well, so that was kind of our introduction that, that man, you know, nature, nature is providing some stuff that we don't need to go to the pharmacy for that. So that was my introduction to that. So at the same time we're making soap and I was going to make this soap as kind of a, a promotional gag or a promotional, a promotional partner to our little hemp business that look, here's, here's one of these products that you can make with, with hemp, you know, industrial hemp. And it's really good. soap. It was kind of my, my angle. And, so then, you know, we start, family starts using it and friends start using it. And then we started going to the farmer's market with it. And, you know, then, then we, people are like coming down there just to buy soap. You know, they're not even going down there to buy tomatoes and, and garden veggies. They're coming down there to buy soap. And people are telling us that our, oh, your soap, that's the best natural soap I've ever. And, and I, and I spent the whole winter, you know, uh, learning and, and downloading books and, you know, watching things, you know, on online about how to make soap and, and what, what ingredients fight were club 53 times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fight, yeah. So uh, learning about the dangers of lye, sodium hydroxide. Um, and uh, so, so we come out of that in 2020 and then all of a sudden the, you know, what happens in 2020, the whole world gets turned over on its head and we're thinking we have, a, we might have something going here we need to come up with a name. Like, like I need to come up with a name. And I hadn't even heard at this point about all the well-known, you know, soaps that are out there for men and, you know, stuff like that. I hadn't even heard of these guys at this point. And I'm, so we're, we got to come up with a cool name that kind of fits our lifestyle. Cause you know, we're out here in the high plains in Nebraska, you know, we're, we're kind of laid back. We're kind of, you know, we're, we're not proper gentlemen all the, you know, all the time. I mean, we're, we're just kind of, we're just kind of like, we're blue collar, not take ourselves too seriously kind of people. And, uh, so we've got two donkeys, uh, donkey and Elmer, and, uh, we're, we're trying to come up with a name and we just come up with wild ass, wild ass soap co wild ass soap company and wild ass hemp farm. And, and our logo is a, a donkey, not, not an actual wild ass, uh, like an African wild ass, but just a domesticated donkey. But, the cool thing about the donkeys is they're kind of representative of, of, of like me. So we've got a couple of horses and a couple of donkeys. And it's funny because they're slightly related, the equus genus, you know, but they're totally different animals. Like sometimes we run out of, like, sometimes we get busy and we forget, you know, like, ah, the horses need water. Well, you know who alerts us to the fact that they're out of water? It's not the horses. It's the donkeys. One of them will stand there and he'll kick the tank. 
in, in groups of threes. Like he's sending out an SOS. Like he's sending me Morse code for get the frick down here and get us water, dummy. And I'm convinced that the horses would lay down and die. I'm convinced that the horses would lay down and die. And the donkeys will send Morse code for help because they know that it's just, it's, it's weird because donkeys are domesticated, but not as domesticated as horses. They, they've still got that, um, not, not necessarily like a fight or flight, like a horse, you know, has that fight or flight, like, 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 you know, you got to make friends with a horse. You got to trick him into trusting you to work with him and, and, you know, get him to do the things that you want to do. And once you gain that trust with that horse, he's yours. But with a donkey, I think those donkeys always have that, like, I'm not sure about this guy. Like, you're like, oh, I'm going to play nice with him, but I'm going to keep my eye on this guy. And that is my attitude towards like our federal government and our regulatory agencies. It's like, and, and now these corporations, it's like, I don't trust these guys. Like, like they say, they, they throw out all these platitudes and slogans and, you know, start all these, you know, fake farm advocacy groups and things like that. And it's like, it's, it's all just a Buffalo, everybody into, into playing into their system that they're just making obscene amounts of money and gaining power and controlling the land and controlling the people. I've got my eye on these guys. I don't trust these guys, you know, and, and that's, so the wild ass is kind of that libertarian kind of, you know, I, you know, libertarians like to use that snake. It's like, I'm using the donkey. Cause he's like, he's like a cool guy. He could, he could survive on his own. The horse can't, the horse is so domesticated that, I mean, yeah, there's wild horses out in Colorado and Wyoming and Montana, Nevada, Utah, but I don't, it's already had the, <laughs> yeah, they do. I, they do, but they're not a donkey. They're, they're, I don't know. I don't know what the, do, the dodo bird, the dodo bird is what they are. And the Republicans oh, more of a just, jackass than a dog. And the Republicans are just the same. You know, it's just, I don't, that's why I don't even want to get into politics. They're, they're both captured and controlled regulatory agencies in my, in my estimation. But anyway, yeah, so yeah. We, we started, we don't have time to get into politics. We need no, to, we don't, we've only got like 15 minutes left or so. Well, I mean, we could have more time, Okay, but it's supposed to be like 98 here today and I've got to get, Oh like, crap. Yeah, I got like three miles of electric fence I gotta go look at, the charger to move and cows to move. So so we started making soap and uh and, and it kind of went through an evolution too. And 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 I'll hit that really quick because it kind of ties into to Mike. Well, we started making just your regular vegan soap. You know, we were making it out of coconut oil and olive oil and, and hemp seed oil, and it was really good soap. And and uh and then I, I kind of had this wild hair. I'm like, you know, why doesn't anybody make lard soap anymore? I mean, I, I realize people do, but, but about this time, it was probably a year or so into us making soap. And, and by that time I had finally, you know, like, like just me doing the stuff that I do on my computer, all of a sudden my, my Facebook feed starts filling up with, with the, the big guys, the, the, the Sasquatch, you know, soap and all that stuff. I, I start seeing all that stuff. And then we've also got a big soap uh, company here in Nebraska in Hastings. There's a, another big soap company that's in whole foods all across the country. And, and they're big and they're palm oil, you know, they're like a true vegan soap and, and, and uh, more power to them. They, they, they send a lot of money to, to like Africa. They like every bar you buy, they send a bar, they pay for a bar, in these African villages and they do really good work, you know, but I'm, I don't want to be like everybody else. You know, I want to be different. And I started going like, why doesn't anybody makes, why doesn't, why aren't there any like really popular nationwide known brands that are making lard soap and, or beef tallow soap. So we started making lard soap 
and we're getting it off the Cisco truck, right? We're not even going to go there, but we're literally getting it off the Cisco hey, truck. Hey, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Actually, it was Cashway, but it's kind of the same thing. And so we're getting this lard off there, and and uh, and we do the Nebraska State Fair, not on our own, but through Grow Nebraska, which is a, it's kind of like a nonprofit chamber of commerce for Nebraska-made products. It's, that's kind of what they are in a nutshell. And they do a lot of business trainings and help entrepreneurs do the, well, anyway, they've got a massive booth at the state fair and you can pay to be part of that. So we took five lard bars of our lard based bars because they're not purely lard. They're mostly lard. We, we use a unique combination of, of ingredients because all these different ingredients have different attributes that we want in our soap, but lard would be the main ingredient. And then I have two of my non-lard vegan bars after and, and all you do is go set up your booth and then you go about your daily business and you know our state fair is like three hours away so we go down set it up come back 11 days later tear it down and i'll be danged almost every one of our lard bars was wiped out and almost every single vegan bar was still sitting there and i'm like hey that i didn't expect that you know well you know we live in nebraska so it makes sense. And I think, and I, so that I'm like, okay, so we, I think we, I can see something happening here. I, I think there's a place where we can stand out as being different in the marketplace. So we went ahead and started developing more and more lard bars, but we're still buying it off the cashway truck. And then I meet Mike Calicrate for the first time at one of uh, star expos shows down in Kansas. And when it was still in great Bend, and uh, got to meet I wish Mike. I had gone to that one. Like, that was what last year or two years ago well that this this year 2023 was the first year they they moved the great ben show to hutch and uh yeah before, i remember I, that one yeah <laughs> that's a that's a good one thank you for that by the way um but but i met mike and then met him again at the mccook show and you know so mike and i kind of struck up these conversations and at the same time we're going through this whole COVID thing and everybody's sick. And, and I'm out here listening to the conspiracy theorists uh, when, when they were getting do just drugged through the media. I'm listening to all the conspiracy theorists who have basically been all uh, – uh, uh, they've been right. Yeah, everybody everybody that was a dumb conspiracy theorist has been right. They've, they've been vindicated 100%. And, and we're looking at vitamin D. And it's like they're they're all these all these scientists that have been decredited and disinformationed and and banned from social media are saying, if we would have just started giving everybody vitamin D, like like two thirds of the people that got sick wouldn't have got sick. And then I learned that, of course, you know I, you know I worked for the guy that raised hogs. We, you know we raised them outside, out in the, out in the dirt lots in the sunlight, and and then I start diving into this research, and and it shows that like like pasture raised pigs have up to nine times more vitamin D in their fat than these factory raised pigs simply because they spend most all of their entire life outside. And these factory pigs spend almost their entire life inside with no sunlight, not to mention the fact that they've got a, some sort of a mono scientific diet that's based on maximum you know, return for the, the, the corporation that's farming them in these warehouses versus a, a pasture raised pig that is, is an omnivore might be rooting up, you know, roots and worms and grubs and stuff, you know, has a, has a more of an omnivore diet. Right. So I got to talking to Mike and I'm like, uh, so could you, could I buy lard from you? 
And he's like, yeah, you, yeah, we sell lard. And, and I said, could I buy like hundreds and hundreds of pounds? Like, can you keep up with that? <laughs> he's he's laughs. He's like, yeah, we can keep up with that. Cause yeah. I was really into what he was doing. I've, I'm just, I'm still fascinated by Mike. I just, he's such a cool individual. He's the reason that I found your podcast in the first place, because after I met Mike Calicrate and talked to him for a while and listened to that man talk, give a speech similar to the one you and I gave at the last Kansas Ag show, um, I'm like, man, I, I got I to gotta hear this guy talk. And I was just getting into podcasts, listening to podcasts at the time. And so I'm searching Spotify for podcasts that, you know, I'm searching for Mike Calicrate, like. I know this guy has given more talks. I, I he, sure. And ranching reboot pops up and that's how I found your, your podcast because I was searching for Mike Calicrate. So fast forward. So we're, so I'm like, okay, we're going to start using your lard because I know your production system. I know where your hogs come from. I know they're just across the border in Kansas. They're outside in dirt lots. And I know that's going to be healthy pork fat because vitamin D can be absorbed through the skin. Okay. okay. So, so I want to make a soap that is, healthy. We've never used palm oil. When I first started using natural soap, I found a company in Lincoln, Nebraska that did not use palm oil because of the environmental disaster that is palm production in the tropical uh, 10 degrees north or south of the equator and what that has done to local ecosystems, local economies, the planet. And I thought, man, I had no idea. I had no idea that that uh, orangutans were endangered in Malaysia and Indonesia because of palm production. I had no idea. Because of and, the renewable fuel standard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, we yeah. got to be green. We got to be renewable. We got to have a renewable fuel standard. Well, we have to take tallow and lard out of everything and use palm oil because, well, it's a plant. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because animal agriculture is ruining the environment. And, and one thing, and another thing I want to hit on, um, and I know, you know, a lot of people either love Yellowstone or you hate it, the show, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun watch and it's a beautiful, beautifully filmography or filmatography, whatever they call it. Um, but it's kind of a goofy, you like, that's not what ranching really is. You know, I mean, that's like, it's like sons of anarchy for cowboys, you know, and it's like, that's not what it's really like, but there was that one scene where, Costner said, you know, when he was talking to the the vegan gal, the the animal rights activist, you know, Summer, whatever her name is, and and there's that line, and you know, it's not Costner, it's you know Taylor Sheridan, you know, he's he he's he's the one that's putting these lines in that. He's like, you know, how many how many animals or how cute does an animal have to be before you give a shit whether it dies for your food production? Because she's against you know raising cattle, raising pigs, sheep goats you know whatever but 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 yeah and so there's that that was a profound line in that mood in that show because i'm like well yeah you know every time you go out and spray a field we're killing spray a field with uh glyphosate we're killing soil microbes every time we spray a field with fungicides we're killing fungi that's a living organism every time we run a disc or a plow or a, a cultivator or a rototiller through a field we're we're killing worms we're mice snakes soil microbes, you, you name it. I mean, a teaspoon of a teaspoon of soil, healthy soil has like 8 billion soil microbes in it. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an unbelievable number. It's just, it's un, unfathomable almost. And so that was another thing. It was, it, it was like, yeah, you know, I mean, this whole greenwashed system that we live in of propaganda and, and corporate, you know, sleight of hand. It, it, people, when people think that palm oil is a is a sustainable and more green alternative to just using 
an animal byproduct like beef tallow and lard is just <laughs> it's insanity i i can't even wrap my hands around the stupidity of it because we're doing so much damage and and there again you know brazil you can do whatever you want like we can do what we want in our land who are we to tell them what to do but but man if they if they bulldoze the whole amazon just to raise more you know skinny cows and and palm oil what's going to happen to the planet but back to the t the tallow and the lard so we wanted to start so we started uh buying our animal fats or pork lard specifically from from calicrate and started making our soap and it's just really good soap you know and and i got to thinking one day i'm like well why don't we use beef tallow too that'd be kind of cool um there's probably more beef tallow out there than there is pork lard and it definitely is um and so I talked to Mike about it and he's like, yeah, we can supply you with all the beef tallow you want. And this beef tallow, I got to tell you, it is just beautiful. It's a, that's all we cook with now. I, so the cool thing about making soap <laughs> is I've got like deep freezers in my shop <laughs> that are just full of not only my, my, I've got an Angus Wagyu uh, beef from a local guy here in McCook. And then I got John's beef in the freezer, but right next to that, I've got five gallon buckets of pork lard and beef tallow. And when it's time to, you know, kick on the fryer to fry fish or French fries, I mean, it's, it's, it's beef tallow and it is so freaking tasty. This stuff is, it's so I'm making soap with it and then I'm scooping it out, putting it in my fryer and I'm cooking food with it too. And it is just, and it's so healthy, but this whole, this whole lie about the sugar lie, I just, I just can't even wrap my head, head around. And I think that's where we are in politics and policy for this nation too, when you did, when you listen to books or read books like Wasteland, you find out that everything is a sham. Like I don't even know where it is. So frustrating to me that it's so hard to find the honest God truth about about what's really good for the soil, what's really good to put in your body, what's really good policy for the country. Because on both sides of our political spectrum are corporations that are buying these experts off with money just like the sugar lie we, we can now trace it back to the 1960s it was two harvard scientists that were paid by the sugar lobby fifty thousand dollars to say that saturated fat is causing heart disease not sugar it took us 60 years to find out oops those guys were lying they yes. were lying yeah they were lying and and look at the health of our nation now we, we everything went fat free this and fat free that and homogenized you know, oils and, and, and seed oils, because, you know, we got to get rid of the saturated fat. Now everybody's fat and out of shape and, and dying of type two diabetes and, and chronic diseases. And, and it, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. And, and it's, it's, it blows my mind. Like it's, it's such a strange time in history that we have obese people that are classified as in poverty and on government assistance mm -hmm. like that, that that's just so weird it's just so strange like at no other point in human history has society been so embarrassingly wealthy mm -hmm. that we have unemployed obese people yeah no, it's, and it's, and nobody's the bad guy again. Nobody's the bad guy. No, nobody has really chosen. No, no one chooses to be unhealthy. 
uh, or to be obese. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a choice, but well, it's just kind of like I was saying, like, I know now what I should be eating, but it is so damn hard. I mean, try to get yourself off of sugar. Try, try to go to your grocery store and buy milk and bread and beans or whatever you, you know, the most simple thing you can think of for a poor man's diet and, and try to get away from sugar. Just try it. It's in everything. There's like what, 17 different names or 70 or something. What, you know, like high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup, dextrose, maltodextrose. I mean, it's just syrup solids. <laughs> Yeah, I just try to get away from processed foods. Try to get away from stuff that was raised with glyphosate on it. Try to get away from sugar. It is so dang hard. And and so like we're trying to grow our own food. We're growing uh, potatoes. We're growing everything organically. That was the other thing about growing hemp that was kind of fascinating. It's like I kind of I really enjoyed growing hemp for three years. This year we're taking a year off because we've got so much extracted oil in the warehouse at Sweetwater Hemp in uh, Pleasanton, Nebraska, that I could go three more years without growing a hemp crop and still have plenty to make gummies and CBD oils and things like that. Uh, so we're growing potatoes, uh, three different kinds of potatoes. Um, we're growing our corn, like our Jimmy Red corn, our white popcorn, uh, some lots of sweet corn. We're growing uh, a whole buttload of green beans because our family loves green beans and i've got a harvest right freeze dryer so we can put those up and you know freeze dry them and 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 they're still tasty like like eating green beans in the middle of the winter that were grown organically and uh, freeze dried they, they don't have that that firmness texture you know after they've been reconstituted with water but right. they still have that flavor and they're still like like i grew up i green beans used to trigger my gag reflex from from the time i was a kid kid green beans made me like gag like i was gonna throw up i just the taste was just so nasty i never ate green beans well now i can eat green beans by the bushel because we're growing them ourselves and they're so much tastier than canned green beans from the store and and i want everybody to experience that but this year has been a good case in point like we were trying to develop some market gardens and you know i, I planted a just a ton of asparagus the last two years we've been putting asparagus crowns in the ground and I, and I've been thinking about all these ways that we can do this market garden and have our own little, cause we've got a little soap store, a little soap and CBD store out at the farm here. So we have customers and we have eggs, you know, we have raise our own chickens and, and the people coming out every day for stuff. And, and I thought, you know, we can just kind of piggyback that on and try to try to have people come out and eat healthy green beans and salad greens and, and uh, potatoes and things like that but this year the you know we just got so busy i'm still trying to finish my hoop house i've got tomatoes and peppers and and radishes and and lettuce growing in a frame right now it still doesn't have plastic on it we were going to try to build the end walls this weekend and but we still have another chicken coop that we have to build because we've got 25 uh growing hens that are ready to join the other already adult laying hens and we don't have a big enough chicken coop for the new group <laughs> so there's just so many things to do. I, I can't even keep up. Hey, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll wrap this up. Okay. Sounds good. And we're back. Okay. So yeah, we want to wrap this up. Um, and, and I guess I just want to say, you know, kind of here at the end, what we've been kind of building up to is uh, with this soap. Um, everything's frustrating. It's hard to know where to go for for the actual truth of information of of what's good for the 
the soil, the air, the water, your body, the animals, because there's so much corporate confusion out there. Um, and so what, what can we do? You know, I, I saw uh, Greg Gunthorpe one time here last year was on Facebook, you know, like I just, he's like, I don't know why we keep doing this. He, he was, he was reaching that point of frustration. I've never met Greg, but I were Facebook friends and, and I, you know, we've commented back and forth on certain things and, and he's just like, it just seems like all these trips to Washington DC and all these things that we do, it just doesn't seem like, like anything's ever going to change for the better. And I said, you know what? I said, don't give up. Cause I said, I don't think you realize how much influence you have over people that you've never met. You and I have never met. And I said, you've greatly influenced my thinking and, and I, you've greatly influenced my life changes in my business, cha the changes in my business life that I've made, uh, as well as Mike Calicrate, Del Fike, you had Del on the program a couple months ago. He he was another one that was kind of a catalyst for my change when when Del started telling me about. He just he really when he started talking about how how he put it where our soil is on life support. You know we have we have we have dumbed our soil down so much that we have to continue to pump it full of synthetics to get any kind of production out of it. And I'm like, wow, I just it, all these dots connected. So where does wild ass soap and wild ass hemp farm fit into that? You know, I, I can't go out and be a spokesman. Um, you know, I, I, I can't really go give talks. Um, I mean, I can talk on a podcast, but I, I think podcasts are where I think the podcast world is where is, is the only place where there's really truth right now, because it's not the CEO of Tyson out there talking um, it's not the paid industry experts that are skewing their research uh, for their uh, person that's paying the bills. It's real people coming out and talking. It's it's real boots on the ground. I so I think the doing podcasts is 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 where there's still truth. But but where what we're trying to do with our soap is say, look, this is what palm oil does. Uh, just one example. Th this is what palm oil does. You know these people that are out there saying that they're using. Uh, ethically sourced and sustainably sourced palm. Well, how do you know? It's it comes from Malaysia. Did you, you know, where did you go see this plantation at? You know, how do you know it's ethically sourced? How do you know there's not uh, slaves? You know, indentured servitude on this farm. Um, our fats are coming from these uh, cattlemen in, in uh, Northwest Kansas, family farms, family ranches. That's where our fats are coming from. Yeah, we still use co some coconut oil. We still use some olive oil. We use the hemp seed oil and some shea butter and we buy our shea butter directly from a, a company. Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's ethically sourced and, and there's a, yeah, you can get on their, their website and see uh, these gals have formed a cooperative there in Africa that they work with this Canadian company they set their own wages and they set their own prices. And I pay a lot more for this shea butter uh, than I, than I could through a standard supplier. But I, I just like the idea that, that I'm helping people. We're helping people, but the, the 70% of our soap is, is a locally regionally sourced uh, beef tallow or uh, pork lard. And, and it's healthy because these animals aren't factory animals, but, but what we're doing with the soap is, is we're, you know, like, like Mike Calicrate really got me when, when he started talking about how the, the, our rural communities are in a state of decline, uh, the vulture capitalism that's happening, the, the resource mining that's happening. And, it, and it's not just mining water and mining soil, it's mining money out of these communities. I mean, we're, we're going into all these corporate entities. Um, you know, Mike was, was telling me here this last winter that there's a new development going in in Colorado Springs. And he talked to a, a local store owner 
who wanted to open up a second location in Colorado Springs at this new business development. And they were told that, that local small businesses were not welcome. The only businesses that were going to be welcome there are corporate franchises and corporate chains because they can pay higher rents because they externalize the cost of labor and production and and they, they utilize, you know, government subsidies like like, you know, j- just our welfare system, you know, it's for low lower. It's going to be a lot less risk for the developer. And I get that. And that's the thing because they can pay higher rents and they're they're. But it's like, let's not like they a, just pay higher rents. It's, you know, if if JC Pinion's if I'm a developer and I'm building. 5,000 homes or you know, however many building a thousand home in a master plan community where there's going to be a hospital, or there's going to be schools and there's going to be stores, shopping, gas stations, whatever. If I'm developing that, I want to make that as attractive as possible. Mm-hmm. And okay. Not the mindset I'm in currently, but you know, a big, a big business mindset, big development yeah. mindset that, that, that guy probably is in, you know, yeah, he's going to select businesses He's going to work with big businesses that have a track record of not going broke and not closing. Yep. yep. Because and he wants to he wants to do the best he can. Is he being yep. a bad guy? No. no he no. wants to build a community and he wants to, you know, he's trying to feed his family too. So he's going to go with the most sure thing, the thing that makes the most sense. Yep. And and, and nobody's the bad guy. It, it's bad for a lot of people, but like you said, he he's not the bad guy. These guys are not at some point, you know, some of these companies, they, they, they are bad guys. You know, there are bad guys at Smithfield and there are bad guys at Tyson and, and there are bad guys up there that are, that are intentionally praying. They're intentionally mining because they know they can. And, but, but down, you know, when you go to Walmart, you, you're, you know, your local Walmart, there's no bad guys there. You know, there's, there's no bad guys in that building. Those are people in your community and we're all trying to make a living. But the thing that we're trying to do with Wild Ass Soap is we're trying to, you know, we we sell retail online, we sell in our store, but we also do wholesale. And right now we've got, you know, we've got a wholesale in, I don't know, five or six different states. It's nothing huge. I mean, we're, we've got like two places in Texas that, well, I just shipped some out uh, a couple of days ago to Grand, Granbury, Grand, Granbury, Texas, down, it's like southwest of uh, Fort Worth. We've got some soap for sale uh, down at the stockyards in Fort Worth. We've got it for sale in Nakona uh shamrock and now in granbury you know we've got some soap for sale in kansas colorado uh ranch foods direct in colorado springs both locations sell our soap um because we're using there it's pretty cool like i so so we're trying to grow our wholesale and the thing that we're doing is you know we're, we're trying to grow this with other small businesses you know um let's just say I got a phone call from Walmart tomorrow and they said, you know, we think what you're doing is cool. We want to sell your soap. I'd be, I, I'd have to say no. I just, I, I just don't like, you know, like I said, if I go to my local Walmart, there's no bad guys in there. Those are my friends, neighbors, community members. There's no bad guys there, but, but I don't like what they do because they tell you what your cost, are, you know, they, they don't tell you what your cost of production is, but they certainly tell you what you're going to sell their product to. And, and what they've done with, with vendors for 30 years is they, they've put so many people out of business because they tell you what they're, they're going to, it's just like the story that Mike tells about John Tyson. He cornered him outside the bathroom one day and said, you know, told, you know, this is what you're doing and this is what's going on. And John says to Mike, he says, we don't set the prices. Walmart tells us what we're going to sell our meat for. 
Walmart tells us we have to sell to Walmart. And so we have to figure out how to screw everybody downstream from the, in the chain so that we can make a profit. Well, gosh, what kind of world are we living in? That's the kind of thing that's going on. So hell no, I'm not going to sell my soap to Walmart. I'm going to sell my soap to Western stores, gun stores, local grocery stores. Like we've got Gary's superfoods here in North Platte, McCook and Broken Bow. They sell our soap. We sell a lot of soap through uh, Gary's superfoods. It's a locally owned, you know, grocery store. And uh, yeah, all, we sell it in boutiques and all over the place. But what's really exciting is we just pulled the trigger on a, on a big cargo trailer, a bumper pull cargo trailer. We've been dreaming about having this mobile soap shop. So, so we can go to, uh, well, we're not going to use it at the state fair. We have our own booth at the Nebraska state fair this year. So we'll see about a million people uh, at the, at the Nebraska, or no, no, we'll see, gosh, what is 300,000 people on average at the Nebraska state fair someday I'd like to do the Iowa state fair. Cause there you'll see a million people. Um, and then uh, we're going to try to do uh, we're going to do the RCAF national convention up in rapid city this summer. Uh, gal from RCAF reached out to us and I, I think maybe we have Very some cool. common friends. Yeah. So we're going to try to do that. Uh, I think our trailer is going to be ready for that. So we're going to have this mobile store. We're going to kind of build a little living quarters into the front half. Cause we've got, you know, kids and and you know some of these places i think we're, if we try to start doing music festivals you know some of us are going to be camping in the trailer so we're going to kind of put the front half as a camper and the back half is going to be a really cool you know kind of like a rustic because we're all about the west you know i mean we, we really like the architecture and style of, of western art and western homes and you know like wyoming and colorado i fit right in at least the old parts of colorado not the new corporate chain parts of colorado but it's stay off the front range <laughs> yeah exactly go up in the mountains but uh you know so we're gonna have this really cool uh, mobile soap and and of course we'll have our cbd products in there too but but that's I, I guess that's where we fit in is we're advocating for the farm and ranch gate we're trying to be an extension of what mike calicrate advocates for um, because we, we know we can make a valuable product with the animal byproducts that is definitely more sustainable than palm oil that's grown halfway across the world in eco-sensitive areas. Um, I mean, just think if we had, if we had less packer concentration and we had more regional plants, how much more tallow and how much more park pork lard, because these little plants like, like in your hometown, I mean, they're not capturing any of that, um, you know, they don't have the the time and the and the means for it. There's, I think there's a lot more waste, um, you know, be, because they don't have like, like Calicrate's got a pretty, pretty nice facility there. And, uh, and so they, they, they make really high quality beef tallow and pork lard, you know, they're making pies. He's got a, a meat pie maker that works for him that the guy called me one day talking about our tallow and lard order. And, and he's got that mountain pie company. They make, uh, he's a Australian or New Zealander and he, they make meat pies and they use. I he, so it, yeah. He, he works, he works that, part, yeah. he works part time there. And then he's also got that mountain pie company. And, uh, and then, you know, they've got some other local soap companies that sell their soap inside of uh, ranch foods direct too. Cause they, they use the, but it's, it's such a cool thing. And, and I love Mike's idea about that, that those food villages the, that they're, he, he had one, he was on your podcast one time talking about it. And then of course, you know, the interest rates started going up and construction costs the last two years. It kind of put a, put a kibosh on that for a while, you know, for now it's, it's not dead, but it's, it's in, on hold, but just places where 
We just want to advocate for small family operations. We want to advocate for local agriculture, you know, uh, the, the farm to table people, um, make more partnerships with other people like Mike Calicrate that might have a regional, uh, you know, direct to consumer sort of a system that we can partner with to, as we grow our business, you know, maybe we will get to a point where Mike can't supply us with all of our tallow and lard. I, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to find out, but, uh, but that's what we want to do. And, and that's kind of like, goes back to Greg, like there's no superhuman out there. There's nobody out there that's on a farmer or ranch that's doing their own processing, raising their own animals. That's got time to go out there and try to change the world. But like I told Greg, I said, you know, you don't know who's out there listening and whose life you're affecting. And we all just need to keep at it. We we're not going to be able to elect a president that's going to go in and just change everything. Um, some people think they can. Um, I, I think it's going to, I think it's, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to get this, this, these corporations out of politics that control everything, but we can damn sure uh, put a dent in it and we can get more people. There's a lot more of us than there are of them. There's yeah. a lot more of the Joe blow, the blue collar guy, the guy that's living in a world. There's a, we just have to keep advocating the truth, telling people what's really going on and, instead of listening to all the propaganda and the greenwashing and, and try to support each other in our small businesses and small farms. Um, and that's what we try to do. You know, we're, we got a little bit busy. We get, we seasonally get busy with lawn care, but, um, we're, we're kind of back in the mind frame. I mean, I've been making soap all week this week in the shop. It's really hot out there. It's like a sweatshop now, but, um, we just have to keep helping each other out. Yep. I I'm with you. And, oh yeah. So the thing I was supposed to bring up really quick was, uh, one of the things, so we've struggled. <laughs> I, I think the SAS, it's kind of funny because it's like, I'm not a, I'm not a marketer, right? I'm former agronomist, former lawn guy, soap maker, you know, tiny farmer growing my own food. I'm not a social media influencer and I'm not a marketer. We just spent a bunch of money uh, last year on some marketing that did not work at all. And, and I'm still kind of paying for it. Um, and it's, and it's funny cause it's like, I just want to be a soap maker. You know, I just, I just want to make good, healthy, uh, fun soap that, that people like, and I don't try to trick people. Yeah. We use uh, fragrances in our soap. Some of our soap, we use, uh, you know, essential oils and, and some of them are just fragrances and, and we buy good high quality fragrances that are uh, paraben free and, and phthalate free. But, and I, and I have honestly, I've gone through the uh, MSDS sheets and I've looked up every single ingredient of every fragrance that we use the vast majority of, of these ingredients in these fragrances are plant terpenes and, and oils isolated from different plants. And, and some of them are really long chemical names. And I research all these chemicals and see what, you know, the EWG website and I look up the safety and I, I want to make sure that we're putting out good stuff, but, but I don't try to hide it. Like, like the big soap company in the, in the United States does where it makes it, they, they on their website, they make it look like everything's all natural and they, the, 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 like the tone of this fragrance is like cedarwood and cinnamon and stuff like that. But then you go down to the, where they bury the truth and it, it's just a synthetic, it's just a regular fragrance, but it's got those tones, but they make it look like those are the ingredients and those aren't actually the ingredients. And, and I'm like, that's, that's not us. I mean, if you want to use something all natural, we've, we've got that product. Um, but, but you know, like we've got a soap that smells like, espresso you know smells like coffee um and i like it you know it's not my favorite one but but we you know we're not trying to hide anything from anybody and uh um 
I can't remember where I was going with that. It happens to us all the time, us old yep. guys. All right. Um, but but well, so oh yeah. So the other thing is yeah. So I'm not a marketer, but I think the funny thing is is I think like these other big companies, what they are, they're a marketing company that sells soap because they're so good at marketing. Like they're most of their budget is marketing, and their soap is kind of like subpar. And we're different. Like we're making soap. We want to make really good soap but we suck at marketing. Like I have no idea what to do for marketing. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know how to spend my money in marketing and, and everybody's out there to get your money. That's they just, every, I had like last year, we had all these marketers coming at us and, and everybody had a different plan and all they want to do is sell you something. That's all they care about. They don't care if I sell a single bar of soap. They just want a six month contract. That's going to cost $13,000, you know, and then they, they didn't have to like even sweat a single drop of sweat to, to make that money. And I'm out here sweating bullets because, you know, it's not working. So one of the things that we wanted to do is set up an affiliate program. And I've had a lot of people asking me about it. And I just, I've, I kind of struggle because I, I do my own website and I, there's another thing that I'm not, you know, educated in and, and versed in, but I'm, I'm trying to run my own website and it's a pretty decent website. And it, it I'm could trying be to do my own too. And it's not easy folks. If yeah. It's a, easy to it's make old, your own website. It's not easy. I mean, it's easy to make a website, but to make one that works good, that there's a lot of work involved. So we've got the affiliate program. Now, anybody that wants to be an advocate for Wild Ass Soap or a salesman for Wild Ass Soap just has to go to our website and sign up as an affiliate and you can make uh, you can you can make money. Um just like you do with like the bo the boba links, you know, I, we like those. We always keep them in the house in stocks. A lot of times they're a lunch replacement for us because we're busy on the go and it's a good, it's a good, doesn't have added sugar, no preservatives. It's fermented, uh, uh, grass fed beef. I love it. They're so tasty. They just and, be like 10 packs Yeah, as part of my sponsorship deal. So I'm you're lucky. Well, you know, you're getting soap too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was a little I was a little late on that, but if it hasn't shown up yet, you're probably going to see it Monday or Tuesday. I was a little bit late. I didn't get it done before we went to Wyoming, so I had to do it this week when we got back and trying to get caught up. But but That's I believe okay. uh, I'm out of deodorant. Like just it was the night before last. Oh crap! I didn't send any. Uh, that's a fine. I'll get on a website and I'll I'll get some. Okay. Well, I believe in value for value. One of one of my other favorite podcast. I don't listen to him all the time is the pod father, you know, uh, Adam Curry. Okay. The no, the no agenda podcast. It's, it's a really good podcast and they believe in the value for value. They don't charge, um, you know, like, like some podcasts and I've tried to that Patreon thing. It just, I've tried it twice. And for some reason it never goes through. And I thought, you know, I'll just start sending you soap on a three month subscription basis. I'll send you soap. And that is my value for like, like I get a value out of your podcast. And so I want to send you something for the work that you do that helps us out. Uh, you know, the guests that you have, uh, there's always something of value. Every single guest you've had on has, has had some value to the decisions that I make and the things that I want to do. Thanks. I'm so there's, so there's good value in that. And I try to put in a lot of effort to making sure I have a good guest. The hosts. Yeah. We'll, we'll worry about him. later. Well, this one, you really fell off on this one i don't know what you're yeah, i don't know how you're gonna make up for this one yeah i don't know nobody's gonna <laughs> so uh, yeah you could so you could be an affiliate anybody can be an affiliate i now bear with me uh we're gonna have to figure this out we're gonna have to grease these wheels a little bit because okay, i guarantee well, you they're gonna be a little squeaky they're okay so here's what we're gonna do i got set up on i i set up my my link on your affiliate program 
last night when you yesterday, yesterday yeah. when you sent that to me. Okay. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Okay. And I'm also going to like, and that'll just say, you know, buy wild ass soap here. Yep. Click that. But while you're there on the wild ass soap website, you can also click around and find the affiliates tab and fill out for your own affiliate program. Right. Yep. And, Anybody can be an affiliate. And you guys don't just have soap. And we mentioned deodorant. Um, Ranch balms are really popular too. We, I, so we make a balm. You got to put a little bit of, you got to firm that up just a little bit so I can use it for beard balm, buddy. Yeah. I got to figure something out. There's, there's a lot of cool things that I want to do. Beard balms, one of them. Um, I just need to, yeah, we time, time is the elusive resource that there's just never enough of. Yes. But, but, but we, we used to have a lotion. We still have a lotion and we were just buying a lotion base. Cause people were like, Oh, do you have a lotion? Yeah. I'll buy this base, uh, this, you know, all natural lotion base, and then we'll add our fragrances to it. So you can kind of, you know, have your lotion and with your soap. Well, then we decided that, uh, the, the beef tallow is such a healthy animal fat that, uh, we want to make an all natural, you know, like a, you know, non-lotion kind of a skin moisturizer. So we basically make a real simple ranch balm. Uh, is what we called it because it's we know exactly where this animal fat comes from it comes right off the ranches in northwest kansas we know we're sh we shake the hands you know we're out there shaking the hands with the people that are growing this this uh animal fat that is fantastically natural and healthy uh skin moisturizer so we make this ranch balm with uh jojoba oil beef tallow and hemp seed oil and some fragrance and it's been really popular. We're getting ready to put it in new packaging. That's going to be better uh, so that it, the oils don't kind of like seep out the lid. Those little metal tins are kind of hard to open sometimes and there's no seal on them. So the oils can kind of uh, osmosis themselves <laughs> out of that, yeah. that lid to, to can contact area. So the, the, the new plastic containers will have that foam insert and it, it'll keep the oils inside better. Not, not that it's liquid oils, but it's just, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? It just, Somehow that oil finds a way out, you know, when you don't have a seal on there. So, yeah, yeah. But right. yeah, there's, we've got all that stuff on there. So yeah, anybody can be an affiliate and, uh, and then you can, you've got your own affiliate. Now that's the thing we got to figure out. I just want to, you know, we're going to figure this out over the next few weeks. You know, when people start signing up, you, you, you've signed up to make sure that you can access your dashboard and see what your payouts are going to be. But yeah, anybody, it, it's kind of like, kind of like the wholesale, you know, we've got all these stores, uh, not a lot of stores, but we've got stores all over the country that, that, uh, keep selling our soap and keep coming back for more for their, their little stores. And it's just, it's just a good thing to do. I just love working with other small business owners. Um, everybody's out here fighting in the trenches, you know, trying to, trying to support a family and make a good life for themselves. And, and we want to help be part of that. Yep. Well, I would use your soap, even if you weren't sending it to me, I would, I would happily <laughs> give you money for your soap because it's a good product and I believe in what you're doing and um, you can find links to for uh, you can find links wild ass soap um, I'll throw I'll find the rest of your social links yeah we're on Facebook find up. us on find us on Facebook at wild ass soap uh, or wild ass hemp farm follow us uh, there we're on Instagram it's wild underscore soap underscore ass underscore co so I think if you just search it, you can find it. So we're on and, and we're trying to do more social media. Sometimes we get a little bit Facebook burnout, but we're trying. Social media is hard. It's evil. I don't it like is. it sometimes, but it's, it's easy to get burnout on it too. Yes. Very easy. Yep. Yes. 
Well, thank you, Brian, for having me on. Um, I, I told the family a year ago, I was like, wouldn't that be cool if someday we get noticed enough that like we were asked to be on the Ranching Reboot podcast? That would be so cool. Like that would be like a milestone for our our little company to be to be on somebody's podcast that's had on, you know, all these really fantastic, interesting guests that are doing amazing things. Um, so I did it. I can quit there. now. <laughs> I'm there. You're there. No, I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. I want to. I want to get on Rogan someday. Wouldn't that be cool? I want Mike Calicrate to be on Rogan. That's what I. That's my hope and dream. I want. I want Joe Rogan to to invite Mike Calicrate at, down to Austin and have him on the podcast. I think that would be as or more eye opening than when Will Harrison, Joel Salatin were on there. I. I boy. Or, that... or what about Calicrate and Greg Gunthorpe? Oh heck yeah! Like that. And- who would be the fourth one? Who would who would be in the fourth chair? Ooh. I mean, I'm not going to put myself there. I'm not that arrogant. But who would be in the fourth chair? Well, you know, I I like Dell, you know, and and they've got their Grays Master workshop going on next week in Seward, Nebraska. We were planning on attending it and I need to send Dell a message. Uh well, I just I've got so much stuff going on. We we took a few days off to go to Wyoming and I've got some projects that are in the mix and we've got my daughter's got a appointment in Lincoln next week on one of those days. I just can't make it work. But Dell, you know, he's not a, a well known I you know, he's not well known like like Mike Calicrate is, but but he's he's really doing the, it's people like Dell and the Grays Master group. Um I met him at the Cattleman's Classic. We had a booth set up at the Cattleman's Classic a couple of winters ago. And he introduced himself to to me and invited us out to a little gathering that they had on some guy's farm outside of Kearney there that week. And uh, and, it, and it really hit home. It's like, you know, here's a guy that's not him and his group aren't really well known like Greg Gunthorpe. He's not going to Washington, D.C., but he gets it. He knows what's going on. He's trying to help people, you know, through family, faith and, and community uh, to 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 have healthy soils, healthy families, healthy food, profitability. They're they're trying to put profitability back in the farm. He's just got a different approach. He's got a very, you know, well, you had him on the program. Dell's De- yeah. a really nice guy. He's a really nice guy. And and I and I mentioned to you, you know, this is a guy you should have on your your podcast. And so I like what I really like what they're doing. I and I and I like supporting them. Um, I probably will reach out to him and see if there's some way I can support their their event next week, even though we're not going to be there uh, as a vendor slash sponsor. Cause I do like what they're doing. I, I think what they're doing is insanely important for the future of our kids and our, and our rural communities and our water and our soil and, and our food. It's extremely important what they're doing. So I don't know. I don't know if they're, I mean, he's already had, you know, Joel and, and uh, Will on. So yeah, I don't know who'd fill that fourth chair. The, the things that my network always kind of has said not has always kind of said that the feedback that I kind of got through my network and the people that I talked to a lot about, you know, the Joel Salatin episode on Rogan and the Will Harris episode on Rogan was kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Joe doesn't know the questions to ask to really pull the story out of these guys. Right. And I, and I get that. And I was, I was sitting here listening to you, you know, kind of talk about Dell and I thought, Gabe Brown. I think Gabe Brown would be in that fourth seat on the Rogan podcast better than Delphic because Gabe has lived it. He's lived it from, you know, 
going down the commodity path all the way to where that ends, where he was going to have to quit farming and make a decision and change. That's true. Well, you know, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the godfathers of regenerative agriculture and that's true. Extremely yeah. outspoken. And I think, I think a conversation with the three of those guys, you know, you have somebody that's going to be well-versed in the land management and the ecology and what it takes to go from something that's incredibly degraded to something that's really good in a very brittle, low rainfall environment. You've got a guy like Greg Gunthorpe, you know, who watched the hog industry collapse, but has stayed in it and stayed solvent through the whole thing. Yep. And then you've got Calicrate, you know, who watched the whole beef, you know, he yep. went through the whole beef industry collapse. Yep. And he stays yep. solvent throughout it and has been fighting against Packer concentration the whole time. So, or how about outside the box, that doctor, uh, that doctor down in Wichita that you had on a year and a half or two years ago, I can't oh, remember his name. My doctor, Dr. Davis. Is he the one? Yeah. He's the one that, that was on your podcast, right? Yeah. I think he's the only doctor I've had on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, just that'd be something different too, because he can tie in to the this alternative kind of health model the 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 uh the functional medicine he can tie that into our diets and and why the regenerative farming is is needed and why you know so that that might be a different because then you that that's how you tie it all into because why why do we need all this soil health why do we need all this animal health we need it for our own health because we're all made of the same stuff yep just arranged in slightly different ways stardust we're all made of stardust Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, man, it's two me. and a half hours. We've been we've been <laughs> for a long time. Thank you again. Uh, hope to see you uh, soon sometime. Uh, hopefully, we'll be down and maybe we'll be at the Kansas State Fair next year. We'll, we're going to try to get this soap trailer out on the road and do some really cool stuff, some festivals and state fairs and the whole nine yards. But we're up for anything. I'm, I'm, I'm ready gonna, to go. I'm going to try to be on the road a little bit more in 2024 with my podcast equipment with you know and, and and be set up at you know some of these expos and farm shows to where i can go out and i can i can get to meet some people and and i don't know, hopefully spread come the, come to the mccook farm and ranch show in november uh i'm gonna mike, Cali mike calicrate will probably darren. be there i'm gonna work on darren about that uh yeah, yeah I'm, that'd be fun i'm thinking about i've been thinking about our calf um probably We're gonna be there yeah. Probably going to bottom line conference, which that's a smaller one in Western Kansas. But, uh, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. All well, right. Like I said, hopefully we'll see you again soon. It was fun being on here. I really, really appreciate family appreciates it. Um, yeah, maybe we'll do it again someday. Well, I appreciate your soap and, uh, your body spray even kind of smells. <laughs> <laughs> the old body booze. Love it. All right, buddy. I have a, yeah. uh, enjoy Enjoy your weekend, and uh, those of you out there on podcast land that are listening to this on Monday or Tuesday, go enjoy the rest of your week and get out of here. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget to check out the Q&A and the polls on Spotify. Your support helps us bring more enlightening conversations and fresh stories from the world of farming and ranching. Thank you for listening to Ranching Reboot your favorite regenerative ag podcast.